Hello everyone, welcome to episode 56 of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer that the Tyranids find us informative yet nutritional. I'm your host Matt, <laughs> and joining me as always, a guy who has been seen with quite a lot of Gore's technology recently, it's Cameron. How you doing mate? Hello, flesh things. It is I, <laughs> <laughs> Cameron. <laughs> From which dynasty? <laughs> um... I'm not legally allowed to answer that unless you're really cool with uh, skin suits. Let's put it that way. Oh, luckily <laughs> yeah. I am. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> no, not really. I know this is on recording, but no, I'm not. Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, episode 56. What are we going to be talking about? Right, well, we're going to be obviously talking about a hobby. We'll be talking about the news, and then for the main lore topic, we are going to delve over to the Mortal Realms and give an overview of the Great Parch, which will be very interesting, actually. Well, we found yeah. it would be, so hopefully oh, you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then for our discussion topic, we're going to talk about our ideal 40k starter sets. Very topical, obviously, at this moment in time. Uh, right, okay, before we kick on with all that, uh, as always, if you want to see how you can support us, see us on social media, etc. Obviously, all the notes will be down in the description in your podcast player of choice. Obviously, on there will be our lovely, gorgeous Discord server. If you would like to join that, you are free to do so, as always. And if you join that server, you can come along and ask us a question, and we will basically answer it on the show, which is what we're going to do right now. So, this question comes from Sigmund Frude, and he says to us, serious question, what do you think Kalgar is yelling in that cover art? For context, because this is sort of <laughs> going to be something we talk about in the news, obviously to do with the Marvel comics. They have revealed the first comic, and it's going to be uh, Marnius Kalgar. And oh, so, man. for the you know context, you need to probably see the cover, which will be on the mm. community site. So, Cameron, what do you think Kalgar Ooh, is yelling? He's, see, he looks angry but heroic. So mm. he's got to be—it's got to be something both inspirational and intimidating. So, oh, I mean, the obvious answer would be you know uh, for the Primark, etc., etc., etc. But there's something. There's something about the way he looks. I'm just trying to find the image in Discord. Right now. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it'd be f like former Crag would be another one. Yeah, former Crag. There's the link. Let's just look at this cover really quickly because it's vaguely in my head. But uh, the only thing I can remember <laughs> is how round the Primaris helmets look. Um, <laughs> it's a discussion point. point of the news, but they look very round. Uh, there we go. Look at him. Onwards before breakfast is served. Yeah. There we go. Something like that. <laughs> My hunger needs satisfying. Um, yeah, yeah, he could be talking about his belly. Because again, let's be honest, I, I know this is, you know, pitch as a serious question, but mm. let's be honest. No, yeah, you know, it, honest. it's going to be yeah, McCrag. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, we fight for the Avenging Sun, you know, things like that. But yeah. let's be honest, the more humorous ones are probably more appropriate yeah. to, to yeah. answer this question. You could say, look, I have arms now. Um, that, that would that would work. Um, Behold my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you could have. Uh, I'm the chapter master. Remember, mm. you know, because he does get a bit forgotten about with uh, Bobby G being about. Thing. You know, 
you know. Um, <laughs> he could be, he could be very happy with his Primaris mm. uh, upgrade. So he could, he could yeah. be shouting quite heretically, uh, call for Emperor. Um, oh, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't probably go down well with certain no, uh, no. people around him. But, you know, <laughs> if he was lost in the moment. You yeah, know? yeah. Oh, Who just his his backpack there looks like a jump pack, and it's really getting to me. Like it's got those vents on the front, mm. and I just I just want to see Marnie Scalgo with a jump pack now. <laughs> Let me fly. <laughs> well, we thought he was going to be a dreadnought potentially at one point. Oh um, God, yeah, those know. were the days of speculation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you know, and we've seen dreadnoughts with jump packs. You know, so mm. yeah, that's what he could yeah. be saying. Lift me into oh. the air. I want to fly. <laughs> In the arms of an angel. <laughs> exactly. That's, what, that's exactly what's playing in his head. Um, oh, yeah, or, absolutely. Or he could be saying, uh, poster boys for the win. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, obviously. I think I have it. Okay. I think I have it. Note the size of the bolt guns strapped to his fist. They seem rather small. Mm. So, obviously, he's going, say hello to my little friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is, I think that's the definitive one. God. I think that's very appropriate. You're right, yeah. actually. I mean, I know, mm. I know his fists are supposed to be absolutely huge, but those bolt guns look absolutely tiny, tiny. in comparison yeah. to that cover. I, God. Hey, can we stop for a second? I love Warhammer. This is the <laughs> dumbest piece of art I've ever seen, and it's still kind of cool. It is. It really is. I mean, I know it's obviously definitely getting away from any sort of grim darkness, but you know, oh, it yeah. still it still looks really cool. And it, like I said, there's something mm. very quirky about it. And yeah, I yeah, I, I'd buy that. I don't do oh, comics, yeah. but I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll get at least one issue just to have. Um, yeah. it, you know, they, they they slapped a Mark IV dreadnought on the cover. I'm not going to say no to that. I love the old box dreadnought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're still cool. around. It's yeah, not they still exist. Everything. Yeah, we've got plenty still to sell. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, actually, I know. Actually, I know what he could be saying, which is actually very oh. appropriate with mm. obviously what's been happening in the community a little while ago. We will not miss you. That's what he's oh, showing. Yes, yes, I'm into it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. For social justice. I'm not sure yeah. on that one actually, but well, yeah, hey, I mean, yeah, it's good enough. You know. <laughs> the 500 worlds are the least fascistic part of the Imperium to currently live in. That's I guess. it. You know, there'll be a massive <laughs> uh, mix of people in those uh, worlds. So again, very mm. appropriate. Yeah. So yeah. So there, there's some ideas. Again, hopefully you're as you're all listening to this, you're thinking now what he could be shouting. So plenty of memes, you know, mm. are going to be coming oh, off yes. the back of this. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, so, it's been a good couple of weeks for memes in the community. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's true. I mean, let's be honest. We got bombarded with the the uh, what's it, the Invader uh, ATV oh, God, yeah. ones That's anyway. Still going. Yeah, That's never <laughs> given up. I've they will so never many, die. <laughs> so many Warhammer card uh, edits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, well that's a really cool question. Thank you, hmm. Sigmund Fruit, for it. So. Right, I think it's that time, Cameron. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to talk hobby. Right, so we've had a couple of weeks since last episode, as always. Yeah. Um, as we were saying pre-show, time seems to evaporate. Um, yeah. You know, very warp-influenced. 
So, mm. Cameron, tell me, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks, mate? Um, so, first things first. Um, for once, I haven't done a ton of stuff. And mm. that feels very weird because I feel like the last few episodes I've really been cranking it out in the hobby section. Mm. And I'm not sure how I got so much stuff done. And then I realised the true reason I was getting stuff done was because I'd stopped playing video games. And so <laughs> I've started playing Days Gone. And it turns out that game is... <laughs> incredibly long <laughs> like I, I got to i got to like what i thought was near the end of the game and i just double check like how long should i have left and they're like oh you're about 35 percent of the way through i'm like what yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I, I know we're slightly going off topic but that you're right because uh, i've got it and it is one of those mm. sort of games where you it, it feels like you're constantly in a bit of a loop where you know you, yeah. you get it's getting quite climatic and mm. you know you feel like you're coming to an ending and then bang it hits yeah. you with some Another 20 hours stuff. of stuff you need yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's a very good game. If you've mm-hmm. got a PlayStation, it's currently going pretty cheap on sale. You should definitely try it if you've not entirely given up on open world zombie games. I thought it was going to be so-so. I just kind of got it to pass the time. Uh, but no, it's, it's really up there now for me. It's really good. Uh, but the side mm-hmm. effect is I've not had a lot of time to do other things because I think over the last three days i've probably played about 12 hours of days gone and done about zero hours of hobby so <laughs> <laughs> that's where all the that's where all the time is going that's my excuse i'm sticking with it um, so yeah uh in terms of buying things the first and most important thing i bought in the last couple of weeks was i went on a trip to ikea because mm. um i was gifted very kindly by a friend who used to be into Warhammer, but is no longer and has tried to get back in and it just can't. And now he's moving. He needs to get rid of some old models. He didn't want to just sell them to some random. So he gave them to me. I'm very touched by that. Mm. Uh, he gave me what equates to about 800 points of Harlequins and about the same of Chaos Space Marines uh, in the forms of a whole bunch of Harlequin bikes, a couple of Harlequin vehicles and a single squad of Harlequins with some characters um, three Forge Fiends, a squad of Rubric Marines, and a squad of Chaos Space Marines. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, I, this was the tipping point, because I'd run out of space to put these things in, and, um, <laughs> so I, off I went to Ikea, I was planning on getting a Dutolf, uh, one of the mm-hmm. fancy glass cabinets everyone loves, but those are sold yep. out in Western Australia, oh. and there's, there's, uh, yeah, apparently people have been buying a lot of them recently, I guess everyone else had the same idea a month before <laughs> I did, um, so, uh, those, those are sort of out of stock, and there's no clue when those are coming back in stock here, because the shipping is still kind of weird, um, <laughs> For WA, just not even for the country as a whole, just in WA. Um, okay. <laughs> so instead, I got a Billy and an Oxberg. Uh, Billy being oh, yeah. a very nice big bookshelf, and the Oxberg being the fancy glass doors to go on the front of it. Yeah. Uh, because I want them to be safe and protected. And so while it is not as good for display, because, you know, there's bits of wood in the way and stuff, it is a lot more spacious than a Detol for 2 would have been. Um, it was fun to put together. We had a friend came round of ours, Sean. He helped us put it together. We, we got that thing all sort of done and dusted in the evening and then stuck it to the wall the next day because he couldn't find the right drill bit to do the, uh, brackets. Uh, <laughs> and then we just started loading crap on there and it immediately filled up. 
Um, <laughs> so, That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I spent I spent two hundred thirty dollars on a shelf to realize I probably needed to spend another two hundred thirty dollars on another shelf. <laughs> That's for that's for another day, and maybe for when we move somewhere with a bit more space. Well, and that, um, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's sort of, especially it's always down to compromise, isn't it? Because especially when mm. you're you're living with partners and family and such, like where you know, because I have this conversation with with other yeah. people as well, where you, you you're looking around in you know wherever you're renting or if you own the place, and you're sort of mm. looking in your head, going right, I could put something in that little gap over there, but then you sort of think, right, okay. If I do that, I'm going to have to remove something else or I have to speak to my partner and get them to okay it, which is yeah. not always the most straightforward thing to do because they're like, more toy models mm. in the house. Um, <laughs> and you're like, yes, <laughs> I am mm. obsessed. And yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is a tricky one because like, like you're, you know, I've got, you know, an Ikea, you know, de Torf, Um and yeah, it's really good, but I feel like I need five of them. <laughs> yeah. One just does yeah, not exactly. feel enough. No, no, definitely not. Um, fortunately, Erin is very happy for me to have this cabinet. A, because she's a very supportive and loving partner and she mm. wants me to show off my things, which feels wrong and weird. And I don't know. Where's the catch? I'm, I'm being supportive. <laughs> There's a catch somewhere. No, um, no, it's, it's that, it's that dumb, nerdy, self-persecuting nonsense brain. <laughs> Stuff it. Um, switch off, <laughs> but also, but also because it means our sideboard is no longer covered with my project boxes and is now solely covered with her dice for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It, well, it's not actually covered in them, but the, the primary thing that that sideboard does now is hold tons and tons and tons of Dungeons and Dragons dice and all their different beautiful colors. Um, mm. And it doesn't look messy anymore because I don't have a half dozen filled with sprues and other bits of work um, <laughs> project boxes on it. They're all neatly stacked away in the lower shelves of the uh, cabinet, which is nice. I, I, I quite enjoy it. I think I shall get another at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, everything fits. We measured it beforehand just to make sure my knights would fit. <laughs> because that was a... <laughs> we, we we did kind of do a double take. And we should make sure that's at least 30 centimeters per shelf, just to be sure. Um <laughs> I think the tallest is like a 27 and a half centimeter or something like that. So it's just mm. an inch under a foot. Um, cause you know me, I like to put tall nonsense to make my big models look even bigger. You do. I should really, <laughs> my problem is I've created an arms race with myself because I did the first <laughs> one super big without actually changing the size of the night just because I put that tree on top and yeah. I put it on rocks. And so now that's just a basic knight, though. So now all the other cool knights have to look just as impressive as big. <laughs> and it's just, it's never going to end. Um, <laughs> it's never going to end. Um, the other main thing I bought was I bought a Necron Stark collecting box because mm. those babies are never again available online, according to the Games Workshop website. Um, there, there was not any in stock at the Warhammer store right next to where I live in Molly. So when I went up to pick up Fabius Bile uh, and some Azales, I grabbed one uh, from the Dreamlove store because th- those things are going to be gone. And it's a nice little box. And hey guys, I'm doing Necrons for ninth. Who who did who did thunk? Who'd have thought? Been talking about who did thunk? I'm pretty <laughs> sure I said this last time, but yeah, no, for sure now for definite. Yeah, um, you're on it. I'm on it. Uh. And that brings us to our building. So last time around, I mentioned I had built a Necron Warrior test model and primed it or anything like that. I just built one just to see how they look. And because, you know, classic Necron Warriors are cool and they are going to be gone eventually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so 
the problem I got into was um I was initially thinking of doing a severed dynasty, so just a dynasty that it you know lost its sentience in some some fashion was controlled by the tomb world, which is a cool idea. Loved it, loved severed the novel. That's pro- mm-hmm. probably why I went with that. Uh, but then someone on our Discord, I don't remember whom, I shan't name names, linked us to the Instagram of a guy who sculpts Catan with hot glue. Yeah, um, and they look incredible they are unbelievable <laughs> and the one that really caught me was a flare virus katan because it essentially looked like a floating blood-starved beast from bloodborne and it's the coolest thing i've ever seen and i went oh i could do a severed dynasty or i could do a flare virus corrupted dynasty or a flare cult or whatever and um therein lies the rub i can't do both mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> I need to stick to one theme per army. I'm not going to start a traditionalist Death Guard army on top of what I've already got. I'm not going to, <laughs> not going to throw myself in like that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I built the second one as a Flayer corrupted Necron warrior using some bits and bobs from the Mirmorn Banshees kit I had gotten to uh, help with my Night Tyrant. Still working on that. That's still coming along. <laughs> Um, this, this model was an absolute bastard to put together, mostly because I wanted to use the Mirborn Banshee, like, veil with the skull-like suggestion under it, uh, mm-hmm. draped over the head of the Necron, so I was like, I had to cut off a Necron's mouth, just the mouth, and shave and trim that enough to fit in under the veil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh Yeah, no, it was an absolute pain. It took almost two hours to build this one warrior oh wow <laughs> between all the bits and bobs of cutting and filing things now the thing is i've painted them both up because uh, that's the only building i did so i'm merging this with painting i painted them both up they both look good they both took weirdly enough pretty much exactly the same amount of time to paint so the only real difference is the build time and if I press mold all the uh, the ghostly, fleshy bits, they won't be such a terrible, terrible paint to work with because I can bend <laughs> them and shave them really easily <laughs> or just drape them over the bits of the pre-existing bits of the model without cutting up the pre-existing model. And also, I think it looks better. Uh, I painted the two of them. I've got a side-by-side comparison. They're up on Twitter. I did it about a week ago, so yep. probably two weeks ago when you're hearing this. Um... I, I like the Flayer Corrupted one better, and also it really fits my style of make it messy. <laughs> that way you, no one will see your mistakes. Because if, hey, if with my Death Guard, if there's a mistake, Nurgle's right, no one will see it. Is my Necron, if, if there's a mistake, blood for the blood god, no one will ever see it. <laughs> Just cover it with gore, it's fine. Good philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plus, you know, like, looking at the coming stuff for the Indomitus box... Um, I want to see those Necrons done in a Flayer style. I want to see the Scorpec Destroyer Lord with, like, a cloak of skin. Mm. Or the Reanimator, where, like, things have been nailed to the side of the Reanimator by the Warriors as it as they just pile up corpses on top of it. Have, like a, have, it, have it like the Gothazar Harvester, actually, except instead of collecting bones, it's got a basket of corpses, like, from the corpse cart or something on it. Mm. I can see like, that all, all kinds of juicy conversion ideas. Whereas, if I was doing Severed, I'd build the models as is and then just paint them in this black shoulder plate, red Gauss energy theme, which I really, really like, actually. It's a really good theme, but it's not its not crazy, psychotic murder robots who want to <laughs> kill you, eat you, and wear your skin, which, 
And then, you know, also, like, I read up on the flayers and why they're like that and how the virus works, and it's really juicy lore-wise. Did you know they're like that because one of the Catan cursed them with its dying breath to always desire food? Yeah. And that's as close as they can get. (laughs) See, it it also reiterates as well that you've got to buy into your idea, I think, as well. You know, I mean, I know that's what I'm stating is very obvious, but when when you're trying to get into an army, and then especially when you're going into a, a sub part of an army, you know, where, yeah, where, yeah. like this, it's nice to go where you sort of envision it, and mm. yeah, where you sort of feel like, yeah, this is the you know both aesthetically, law wise, and you know mm. potentially rules wise, if they want to go that far. Yeah, you, yeah, it's so crucial to sort of really get mm. into what you're doing because because yeah. realistically you're probably going to finish it that way and and then mm. for enjoy mm. it. There's no point sort of doing an army just for the sake of it because yeah, yeah you're more likely to fail, mm. which is a shame exactly, but yeah. it happens. Yeah. Yeah, and um speaking speaking of that exact point. Thank you Matthew. It's like we're coordinated. We're not <laughs> actually coordinating, but it's like that. Um so I've figured out what I'm doing with the Indominus box. I kind of wanted Space Marines, but mm-hmm. with that exact point you've said, Matthew, that exact point, <laughs> I'm not doing the Space Marines. Um, yeah. I found someone who wants just the Space Marines, does ha- has no claim on the rule book whatsoever. Thank you. Uh, you know who you are. I doubt mm-hmm. you're listening to our show somehow. Um, uh, so basically, I'm going to order the box. He's going to give me about a third to just under half in cost for the Space Marine models. And then I'll have the lovely, jubbly Necrons in a very cool rule book, which is all I want for that. <laughs> happy um, days. Yeah, happy days, because otherwise they would have suffered the fate of uh, the very first Space Marines I bought getting back into the hobby, which is the Space Marines from No No Fear, mm-hmm. who um, 85% of them are still on their sprues in, a, in the bottom of a box somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because man, yeah, I went in, I went into this wanting to get into space marines on my way back in. And then I got immediately into the darker, dirtier side of that mm-hmm. box. And I'm going to do the same with Indomitus. No knights in shining armor, only terrible, terrible psycho necrons. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's, that, and that's the perfect way to go about it is that, yeah. you know, I know, and that, and it, it works both ways. Like, it, you know, for people that want to just, just get into the space marine side of things because mm. obviously mm. you know that can easily get criticized like, oh another space marine player and and things like that but you know <laughs> you've got you know there's so much variety there just don't feel mm. bad either way if you like something or don't like something that's you mm. know that's that's why things are interesting yeah. that's why things are subjective if you want yeah, either yeah. or even if you want both there'll be people looking at that box set and going right i'm gonna do space marines and necrons and it's like oh yeah Go for it. it. <laughs> yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I I will do Space Marines at some point. I'm slowly percolating all the ideas for that, but there's just so many other things I want to get to first. So Yeah, they'll, st- they'll still be go. there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll be available as, like, a weird start collecting box at some point. I really hope they announce what's going on with the Dark Imperium models, incidentally, because, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah, so uh, then the only other thing I've really been doing painting-wise is I've done a bit more work on my Rampager. I've started doing the trim, which is an absolute pain in the balls. Uh, <laughs> as I think I've said every time I've painted a knight, painting the trim is the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's just... 
The reason I haven't done standard Chaos Space Marines yet is trim. That is the only reason, because they have so much on every panel of their armor. Like, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting flustered over, like, the trim on the shin pads and on the shoulder pads and on the top carapace of the knight, which is, like, nothing <laughs> in comparison. They're, they're, in comparison, they are big, wide open spaces, super easy to paint. I, yeah, yeah, no, we're not doing trim. Um, <laughs> well, we are doing trim, but we're doing it, like, begrudgingly. One day uh. I'll find a way to paint knights without doing trim. Highest. <laughs> <laughs> Hire a commission artist to do just this one part of the project. Is that a viable thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do the I'll do the ninety five percent. Just do trims. Yeah, there'll be there'll be just some trim, trim experts out there. Yeah, oh, probably. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> over to reading. Um, I surprisingly haven't read Manflayer yet, oh. despite having picked it up at the start oh. of our last episode because I'm saving it. Because in a couple of weeks I'm going on a lovely jubbly little holiday down south for a few days to visit uh, Aaron's parents and get away from the city, get out of the rat race, go sit by a nice fire, and that's when I'll read Man Player. I want to mm-hmm. savor it. I want to take my time with it. It is very difficult to restrain myself in this way because everyone else is reading it and yelling about how good it is. I'm looking at you, yep. Matthew, yeah, and also Guilty. a couple of other people. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to treat myself, and sometimes that means waiting. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes. I have, in Fabius Bile-related reading, been reading War of the Spider, which mm. is fun. Um, yeah. I, I think the last episode I talked about reading Engine War and how, despite the fact that there's not a ton of lore in these books, um, they are really, really good lore, or at least War uh, Engine War was and War of the Spider is. I don't know about the other Psychic Awakening ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh it, it's a fun little romp of Fabius Bile just manipulating people into doing what he wants, um, and <laughs> getting chased, getting chased around a segmentum by a bunch of different dudes. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. We get confirmation that, uh, all of the Primaris Brazen Drakes were killed by that one custodian and his guards, um, because he doesn't trust them. Uh, <laughs> call back to that one very controversial sort, short story. Um, so that that's confirmed. Uh, Brazen Drake's Primaris not allowed. If you've got them, yep. they're renegades. Yeah, I tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it yeah, it was just fun to read Bile like doing his stuff. Like mm-hmm. he's like he found these renegade Space Marines who are the uh, firstborn Brazen Drakes who have defected, joined the Black Legion. He's like, oh, I'll help you out. Yes, um, I will upgrade you. And then he just gets the chapter master horribly addicted to stims <laughs> and just tells him what to do for like the entire thing. Oh, <laughs> and the chapter, yeah, it's perfect. Um, and you know, like he's doing all his experiments and pretty much the, the end game of it is Fabius Bile does it again. Uh, hey, this is a story where the Imperium definitely loses because they don't catch Bile. Uh, they do manage to kill off the last of the Brazen Drakes, but in doing so, they lose about a dozen custodies, apparently. Just okay. disappear mysteriously, because the, basically the climax of this is the Death Guard have tracked Bile down uh, to the la- to where he's holed up with the last few Brazen Drakes. The custodies have tracked Bile down to where he's holed up with the last few Brazen Drakes, and Bile just... Neither of those forces know the other is there, and Bile just 
places everything perfectly so the custodians <laughs> run into all the death guard at the same time as he manages to pop out and then he's just there's a little bit where he's walking through the back streets with a bunch of cultists and some nets looking for a lone <laughs> custodian guard and going ah yes there he is he got separated from the pack get him <laughs> just, just netting this custodian and dragging him off into the darkness of a back alley and just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's literally the end. Is like some custodians go missing, the death guard don't catch bile, the custodians kind of do okay. Again, they wipe out the brazen drakes. Um, mm-hmm. They they kind of didn't need to work so hard. Like halfway through, halfway through all that, an assassin shoots the brazen drakes chapter master in the head and absolutely murders him. But then bile <laughs> Frankenstein's him back as a complete puppet, and they're like, oh, nice. and the Imperium's like. He survived somehow. We must tear down this traitor, whereas actually it's just a servitor, basically. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a psychic servitor. Like, Bile, Bile realizes there is no brain left, but for some reason it's still got massive massive psychic powers. I'm like, that's probably close <laughs> enough. It listens to what I say, so off you go. Go get the Death Guard. Go get the Custodians. Yeah. I'll just be back here. Uh, <laughs> so, um... Fun little one. Hey, the Imperium doesn't win every single time. Bile, Bile wins Good. this one. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, and rules-wise, it's a, it's a fun little supplement. Everyone mm. seems to get pretty good stuff, except maybe the Sisters of Silence, who don't... Nothing really changes majorly for them in terms of rules, but, like, Custodians get a ton of fun stuff. Death Guard get a lot of good stuff. Like, I've been reading this and been very happy. Uh, and, obviously, Fabius Bile's faction is... Everyone's into this. I know. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's very, <laughs> very good. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next for Bile. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he'll be like printed in the next Chaos Space Marines Codex as a fully fledged faction. With, yeah. Like I think they. All I the think they stuff. will. Yeah. Yeah. Because man, I would love to see some more stuff for him. Because what what he's got is cool. He could be even cooler. Yes. Um, Yes, yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, and then we get on to playing things. It's Necromunda campaign update number one, because that happened. Yay. We did it, yay. I played the very first game of the campaign. It was Goliath on Goliath in a terrible show of violence in, um, what was it, the matches Tunnel Skirmish? So, essentially, you get points for enemies who go out of action, and the more important they are, the more points you get, pardon me, so like yeah. a regular dude is one point, champions are two and leaders are three. Um, I very handily won this game, and I'm not sure how. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it was, I would love to chalk it up to tactical genius. It was literally just luck of the dice, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I, I rolled really well. Uh, Leaf, my opponent, did not roll so well. Um, there was... It, it was a fun setup because, like, we did a we did a very long rectangular zone mortalis board cool. um, instead of like a more square shape overall. And because this was the only time we were ever going to do it, let's be honest, in a campaign, we used our whole gangs because we could have played a smaller one with up to five guys, or we could have played a bigger one with up to ten. We each had eight guys, and we went, no, everyone on the board. Yeah. Why? What's the it. worst? Could, what's the worst that could happen? Um, <laughs> The worst that could happen apparently is very, very bad. Um, <laughs> so some interesting things happened. Like uh, there's a there was a long corridor with just a pit uh, at the junction end of it, and so he had a champion and a juve on one side of the pit, and I had a single juve 
like down the corridor or across in the pit and he was just he kept those two people locked down the entire game like pinging them because if you hit someone with a shot they go prone if you go prone next to a hole you have to make a check and if you fail the check you fall in and die um <laughs> Makes sense. so like he ra- yeah he ran his champion up he's like oh i'll just blast this druve out of the way then we can hop over the hole and progress down here and flank him and like yeah and then he missed missed my juve for like four turns straight and my juve kept hitting him he never fell down the hole but he was always pinned next to the hole (laughs) (laughs) that risk was always there uh and then to further complicate that things uh he had two stimmers uh the big big buff guys one of them with the twin grenade launchers the assault grenade launchers they're called which are rapid fire grenade launchers which is the dumbest (laughs) thing ever and um, in Necromunda, you can place blasts wherever you want, uh, as long as you have line of sight to the spot. And he's like, well, I can't see the Druve around the corner, but I can see just next to the Druve. So I'll level my twin grenade launches down there. I'll carpet that hallway in frag grenades. What's that? Uh, oh, I rolled an ammo check. Oh, that's, uh, I might run out of ammo. And then, wait, these are unstable. If you roll an ammo check, the grenades might blow up in the gun and just <laughs> take you out immediately. And he got taken out immediately. Um, <laughs> so, like, that, that yeah. was two free points. That was great. Um, and then the rest of it is just some very lucky injury rolls for me. Uh, like, um, what is it? I put True Grit on one of my champions, which means when they take damage, they're less likely to get something serious. And because of that, that champion was able to stand up and use a flamer template from a combat shotgun on a hallway full of guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, it's only strength two. So it's wounding on sixes, but every hit does D6 hits. So, like, he just laid it down and did, like, five hits on every guy in the corridor and just <laughs> laid them all down. Like, no one got hurt. They all got pinned. And, you know, then my leader's running up with his bolt gun and all this kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun. It was f- it was interesting because nothing happened for two turns. And then it was three turns of the most intense firefight I've ever seen in Necromunda. And then it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, it stopped primarily because... One of my guys went out, he got shot in the head with a bolt gun, but he was fine, don't worry, he he literally woke up an hour later. <laughs> As you <laughs> more, do. More yeah. or less, in terms, in terms yeah. of how the game works. Um, whereas, by that point, four guys, which was half of Leaf's gang, uh, had gone out of action. Um, <laughs> and, and we're doing a campaign, and, you know, going out of action can mean, oh, maybe you just miss the next game, or it could mean you die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or anything in between there. Uh, so he, he bottled, he pulled out his gang. So I won that game. I got to, I got the first territory of the campaign. I got yes. control of the slag furnace. So my Goliath is, my Goliath gang is sort of muscling in on the forge industry in this part of Necromunda. Um, they, they're getting, a, they're getting their foothold in. Um, and then we rolled for all the stuff that happens afterwards and it got a little nuts. Um, oh, I got a, I got a little summary here. What happened? Let's see. I so the next hour is going to go. Yeah, got to find the got to find the thing I did. Okay, yeah. So I ended up with 150 credits. I gained five reputation. I got a free juve who showed up from the new territory I captured. And then when going to the trading post, I was able to buy things up to rarity 14, uh, with 15 being the highest, most rare thing available. Um, so cool. I was, I was in a pretty good spot. I was tempted to buy like heavy carapace armor right off the bat or a plasma <laughs> cannon or something, 
I decided to go simple. I just bought a bunch of armored undersuits, which add plus one to saving throws for the people to stick them on, and a bunch of stun, uh, smoke grenades. Uh, so I was like, I'll, I'll set myself up for the campaign. I won't go crazy with it. Uh, mostly because I didn't want to have to model my leader holding a plasma cannon when he already has a heavy bolter model ready to go. <laughs> but like, oh, it was tempting. I could have gotten anything, but no, no, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play the long game. Um, so it's uh, probably going to be another couple of weeks till my next game. So hopefully might get one in before the next episode or it might be just after the next episode. We'll see. Uh, but I'm pretty happy with where I am in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I, I drew up a big territory map for the game, which mm. I now have to redraw because a couple extra people <laughs> came into the campaign. So now there's some more territories floating around. So I'll redraw that at some point. But I wanted like a visual representation of how the territories were moving around and stuff. So once I get that done, I'll like photocopy it. I'll be able to stick colored markers on it and be like, you know, this gang's here and this gang's there. What do they control? Um, it's pretty fun. Necromunda is a fun game. And the turns out one of the funner bits is all the paperwork you do at the end. Hooray. <laughs> Admin. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the most fun bit. Uh, so the, the stimmer with the twin grenade launchers, uh, when he got taken out, his grenade apparently blew up in his eye. He lost an Ouch. eye and now permanently has minus one ballistic skill. Um, wow. Yeah. Lesson so he got learned a permanent friend. injury. Yeah. Um, and my one guy who went out, he got a head injury. So he's lost a little bit of willpower and intelligence. Um, which is bad that then it's not too bad because they're not stats that are used a lot, but it's bad for him, like in the story, because he's now, in t I think he's an intelligence 10 plus where you roll 2d6 and have to get equal to or higher than your intelligence to do something oh. smart. <laughs> so he's a very stupid <laughs> guy. <laughs> he's, he's very, character. Yeah. Very, very touched in the head, full of character. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a ton of fun. I'm this campaign progresses well because mm. I'm off to an awfully good start and hopefully that means I can have have a fun campaign and not yeah. uh, get left behind by all the other games. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, yeah. yeah. So you've been, you've had, you know, you've, you've been doing stuff, you know, considering yeah, you're saying just... <laughs> that you haven't done as much as normal, you've, you've been busy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Still plenty to talk about, turns out. Um, and of course, <laughs> ba 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 it's time for the, the inaugural, the, the beloved hobby highlight. Mm. Um, oh, where's the, God damn it, I lost the link already. Um, <laughs> I, w I want to actually send you a link to this. Um, okay. But, uh, so my selection is uh, Pegasticks. I believe they are at Pegasticks on Twitter. Mm. Uh, but they're, they're just Pegasticks on Instagram. This is Laura, who is the video editor for Warhammer TV. Yes. She has been doing some absolutely incredible stuff for what I believe yeah. is technically a Cities of Sigma army. But um that's just rules wise, I'm sure. Like it I think it is a Shaishian uh Cities of Sigma army mm. that worships Nagash. So like that's her it, flagellants yeah. Yeah. yeah, her flagellants are um chain rasps with legs from Gene Sealer cultists and Cordor fanatics. Mm. And so it's like the ghostly upper half with like the raggedy, belegged torso things. Like, um, what is it? Her celestial hurricaneum is like a bell being pulled by the ghoul endless, the fleshy quartz horse endless mm. spell, uh, with a, with a can wraith on top of it. And most recently, um, 
I don't even know what this one's being counted as, but it's an <laughs> old Tomb King Necrosphinx with the wings and arms from Magnus the Red and the head from a Gothazar Harvester. Uh, it is oh, amazing. Absolutely. I'll take a screenshot of this. Uh, mm. it is, it is beautiful. It is terrifying. It, I'm, I guess it would be like a general on a griffin, maybe, <laughs> but like, even then, not too sure. I've just sent you a screenshot oh, yeah. of that. Um, yeah, I got it now. Yeah. Oh, it looks it so good. I mean, uh, and it's, yeah. it's funny, as soon as you said the name, I was like, yeah, because I, 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 you know, follow her on Twitter and, and mm. I thought straight away that Nagash, uh, one she did in, yeah, yeah, everything she does is just epic. And it just, it's, it's one though, it's so inspiring. You know, there's certain mm. people out there when it comes to, especially when it comes to converting and kit bashing and things like that. Some people, I suppose it's, you know, bound to happen is it feels like some people are on another level. I don't mean just the execution. Yeah. I mean the actual mm. idea where people just see pieces in their, in their mind and go, right, well, that can go without anything. And I would have never thought of that combination. And oh, yeah. when they pull it off, yeah. it just works and it looks amazing. Mm. Yeah. No, that like that, that Sphinx thing is beyond incredible. And I think it's <laughs> probably the culmination of that, but that her, her entire army of that is exactly that idea that perfect mm. that perfect snap of inspiration i think is what it has to be of <laughs> you know yeah. just oh my god it it is so cool i don't envy her having to paint all of it uh <laughs> but it the the painted ones do look really good there's sort of more of a grim and dirty and bloody dusty uh mashup kind of thing it's hard to describe it's very cool um yeah, that that's my big inspiring cool thing I've noticed on the internet over the last couple of years. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Okay. Well, I said you've been a busy lad. Um and I have to be you know to a degree as well. Um but before I get on to what I, I've been doing, I will <laughs> do the hobby tip of the episode if I can find it. Yes, I found it. Don't worry. Panic over. Um, uh this Crisis comes from <laughs> Crying Mo. Uh Crying Mo ah. is the guy who obviously the, I think you did as one of the hobby highlights yeah. of the other episode with Last his uh, Gloamcast. Yeah, yeah. So here mm. we go. So this was his tip that he gave on our Discord. Um, I think for context as well, I think some of the things he's referencing uh, about buying are things in America, So, but I'm sure you can mm. find the equivalent in your country. So uh, one of my favourite tools, in quote marks, or hobby items are one-ounce containers for go-to condiments. Uh, I get these for about $3 a sleeve in, I think, 125 uh, from Smart and Final. And a sleeve of lids about the same price. Uh, I initially got them for paint slash uh, wash mixing and then discovered they make my favourite paint handles. They're cheap, disposable and reusable. I use poster putty or uh, sticky tack to hold minis onto them and then I can prime uh, paint and varnish then uh, peel the mini off and reuse for the next mini i i usually have between four and 15 minis stuck on these at any given time uh, much cheaper than cork for for him uh, and easier to use and more stable than the holders uh, the two ounce sized ones are for large minis too and of course i still use the cups to mix paint hold weathering pigments mix white glue terrain basing materials and with the lids i can store stuff for later if necessary they just come in handy for so many little tasks i thought i'd share them and yeah it's you know it's a really good point actually because yeah I've, I've now i've found the photo of them as well yeah it's those little cups that sometimes you get in places for holding like 
ketchup and mayo or if you have curries over here in the uk often it comes with the if you get poppadoms and they have all the little uh, mix of dips it's those sort of containers basically and yeah um so that's actually quite a good alternative because obviously people often use will paint pots or obviously like i said the speciality holders for uh for doing that but i suppose like like you said these are real multi-use actually for lots of different mm. things so yeah yeah cheap cheap and easy the way we like it yeah <laughs> so thank you very much for that tip so right okay i will do my hobby right so yeah it, you know we're like earlier we were talking about time it, it's, it's it felt like that with me actually where i feel like mm. in the two weeks since last episode like the first week i did absolutely nothing or barely anything um just because of other commitments and then in the second week i felt like i did a lot i don't know it sort of seemed like it was <laughs> very <laughs> very imbalanced so mm. uh talking about indomitus um because obviously just because it reminded me when you were talking about it uh like i said i think i said before is i'm you know me and my mate martin are gonna uh basically we were considering uh getting a uh, a box to split because i want the marines he mm. wants the necrons but we're going to be yeah. greedy we're going to get a box each um <laughs> and then we're going to swap the content so uh, nice. i'm going to have double the amount of marines and he's going to have double mm. the amount of necrons and also yeah. it's helped solve the book issue because otherwise yeah, if we split it exactly. we would have one book and therefore yeah. we would need to buy another book so it was just easier yeah. to sort of come to that arrangement so you know we're we're both winning in this so so my plan is with having that amount of marines is that obviously things like the assault intercessors will go nicely with my space walls and then my ultimate plan eventually well in the future not worried about it now is that with the excess and some of you know some of the duplicates with some of the characters is i would love to do a small howling griffins force because i've always had a soft spot for the howling griffins one of my favorite chapters and uh when I do them, I'm going to cheat um, in the sense that I'm going to want to do them in their Night World camo scheme, which is the black one, where the shoulder, only the shoulder pads are the ones done in the uh, yellow and red. But I just like it. And yeah, it's cheating a bit. But hey, I can. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I'd like to do it. Mainly because, A, I've got always had a soft spot for them, but also it'd be a nice contrast to my wolves because obviously in theory if i run howling griffins they would be an ultramarine successor because that's what they are so therefore they'd be a bit more shooty compared to uh space wolves so yeah that's what i plan to do with them uh eventually the only thing i'm struggling with um is getting hold of uh shoulder pads for them because the, sn- the snag with shoulder pads for howling griffins is the you they do exist as in you'll see them on the death watch sprue but the snag with them is they're meant for the right shoulder not the left shoulder uh you know because obviously the way the death watch works so uh yeah i'm i'm trying i'm sourcing them at the moment i'm you know i'm you know putting feelers out there see if anyone can do them with a certain printer of the 3d kind Mm, um yeah and i almost (laughs) got some um in on ebay because there there was a seller that that was doing you know space marine shoulder pads uh 3d mm. printed very reasonably priced uh like a pack of 10 for about five quid uh and 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 what was good he, he you know the, the guy was doing them for a lot of the uh, you know lesser known chapters as well as obviously your main yeah. ones and unfortunately Helen griffins weren't on his list but he does say that he does commission so i you know i was like oh could you do some Howling Griffin ones? Uh, which he could, but the only snag is he was charging a very high fee uh, for doing yeah. them and then having to buy them. And without sounding funny, 
I didn't want to pay for something that he could then sell on his store anyway. Because if he can yeah. do them for the, you know, 20 other chapters, I'm sure he could do it for Howling Griffin. So my worry was I would pay this very high premium for him to do them. And then they would be on his store, you know, a couple of weeks yeah. later and I could have just bought yeah. them as anyone else. So I just, I, so I politely declined that. So I'm still on the lookout yeah. for, you know, that, but I'm not worried too much because it's a very future project. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, talking about my space walls, um, uh, I've sort of only I've only done a bit to them really. I've been mainly uh, touching them up in from a building sense because well, I think I mentioned last episode that talking to shoulder pads, I got a couple of them the wrong way round uh, because again I used mm. the Death Watch ones and I stuck them on the left yeah. shoulder pad and without really thinking, I just got you know in the zone and they were facing the wrong way. So yeah, so I ended up ripping those off, putting some new pads on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was just a bit of a tidy up really. I've uh, almost finished building the Eliminators. They're very very cool models. And like I've said before, they're bloody big. Honestly, they make, oh, yeah. I know they're Primaris, but they, even, they look even bigger than normal Primaris. They look <laughs> massive. They look really big boys, but uh, they're really cool models. So, um, so yeah, I've got those yeah. on the go. Um, but the most exciting thing I've been working on is finally, I've been turned to chaos once again. Now, yeah. chaos space, <laughs> obviously this is very much thanks to the fabulous one, Mr. Bill, mm. um, I, you know, I think I probably said it in the very, very first episode we ever recorded is that Chaos Space yeah. Marines were always my jam. They were my main army when I was growing up and into the hobby as a kid and a teenager. And then when I returned a few uh, editions ago for a brief stint, again, I was on Chaos Space Marines. And funny enough, since I returned a couple of years ago, since we've been doing this podcast, I haven't touched them since um, because I just thought, you know, I, I've done them, done them before. I want to you know, obviously carry on with uh, other stuff instead. And yeah, I just felt the pull of Fabulous Bill and doing some very cool stuff with it. I just went for it, really. So I, <laughs> so I, I sold Feast of Bones because I've had the, fo- the Feast of Bones kit uh, for a while since it was released, which is the, the Bone Reaper Ogre box. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do Bone Reapers and I've got enough Ogres uh, at the moment. I don't need anything box. So I sell it. So I sold it and in turn thought, ah, that now frees up some some cash to buy some care space marines. So I bought the start collecting box. I bought uh, fabulous bile. I bought yeah. uh, a box of terminators, a box of possessed, um, and a few other things. So yeah, yeah, I've made a start on them already, and I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. it like <laughs> like I said on our Discord multiple times. It, I feel at home with Chaos Space Marines. You know, it's like that. Yeah. You know, when you just feel that, yes, this is what I'm comfortable with. Again, I'm only just putting them together at the moment, but it just feels right. right. You know, they just, you yeah. know, it's just, you know, I know I, lo- I like lots of factions, like a lot of people, but Chaos Space Marines have just always had that thing for me, and I just feel comfortable mm. with them, you know, compared to some of yeah. the other uh, you know, factions you can get into. Um, so mm-hmm. I've made a start. I've I've almost finished building ten possessed. I'm really happy with them so far. So basically, they're a mix of the official models and some kit bashed ones. So um, so even before my you know official box arrived, I started kit bashing some. So basically, luckily, I ha- had some of the older Chaos Space Marine bits from I think it was from Warhammer Fest. So. You know, rewind mm. about a year ago when I went to last year's Warhammer Fest and there was a kit bashing competition where, you know, a few of us that were there, you, you basically had like, a, you know, 15 minutes to do a diorama with your mates, basically. And like, you know, like basically speed 
building. Um, and yeah. they had a load of sprues left at the end of it. And they were, you know, basically wanted the tables cleared. Um, so they were like, you know, so basically it was like a free for all. Mm-hmm. They were just grabbing sprues and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I must have ended up with some, <laughs> some Chaos Space Marine mm-hmm. ones from that. So that, that's actually been, you know, very handy. So I've just been taking bits from my bits box, which look like they could be mutations, really. So I've got, you know, it's handy from the, like the Blight Kings. I've got, what else have I got? I've uh, got something, some Zinchen ones there. I've even got, um, one of them who's got the claw from a, a tree revenant, a sylvaneth, which looks oh, really cool nice. as well. So yeah, yeah, I've just basically been just, you know, sticking mutations on them. I've been putting the old chaos warrior, you know, the, um, AOS, uh, chaos warrior heads on them as well, just to make them look quite imposing. And yeah, so I've got them built, uh, you know, in combination with the official kit as well. So all I need to do is mm. just, I think just build their or put their uh, backpacks on at the moment. And then I'll have a, a unit of 10 already to to crack on with so uh i've built two of the great greater possessed from the start collecting box so they're built i have well not officially built but i've dry fitted the chaos lord because i bought the chaos lord uh the newer mm-hmm. one the one that come with um blackstone fortress, blackstone fortress? Yeah. yeah so i got him because i'm actually getting for like eight pounds on ebay he's he's, he's oh, really nice. cheap on there and i was like yeah, yeah. i'll have him <laughs> i'm not saying no to that so i bought him and i've nicked one of the uh winged backpacks from the possessed kit um to basically turn him into a jump chaos lord so it w- nice. it'll be a counts as jump pack but there'll be wings yeah. um and he's you know he's got a thunder hammer so he's you know or, uh, you know a chaos smash captain effectively yeah so uh, he is looking very cool and it's quite funny because i i was doing this the other day on one of my during one of my work calls um because i was listening i thought oh, i'll just do some building while i'm here and then it was funny because i was like you know i put the wings on him and like, he looks really cool i then watched a bat rep on on YouTube, like the day after, and someone had done the exact same thing. I was like, okay, I'm not a special snowflake. I wasn't the first nah. person to come with that idea, nah. but that's fine. But he looks cool. Yeah. Um, mm. I also reconverted my demon prince to to go with this as well because I I bought a demon prince mm. I think towards the end of last year uh, to to for AOS, but he's never really found a place. Uh, in any of my right. armies over there, so the only snag is I wanted him with claws rather than the the um, the sword. So I had yeah. to literally rip his arms off. <laughs> it was like something out of the novels. <laughs> I was like, ripping a demon prince arms off, which oh, um, <laughs> was quite quite all right actually. Lucky because they're big chunky pieces. Um, even though mm. I'd obviously mm. glued it with you know with plastic cement, which is obviously hard to get off. It it was a clean break on both his arms. That sounds horrible, um, but <laughs> um, but luckily. Because uh, I kept some of the extra pieces from that kit, I could put the the demon prince shoulder pads over the joint. So yeah, you know, so by glue, yeah. re- you know, I tidied it up, reglued it, and then put the shoulder pads on. And now you can't see any of where you know the, it had been on there previously. So, so yeah, that was an easy thing to do. So I've got a demon prince mm. as well. Nice. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah, proving really cool. Actually, I'm really really enjoying uh, working with these. Um, what else have I done? Right. Well, actually, another thing talking about eBay. Yeah. Last night, I, um, or oh, the other night, I should say, or whenever it was, I decided to buy Khan the Betrayer because I thought, um, mm. he'll be fun. You know, he's, I like him. Uh, I've been reading one of his books 
Not that he wrote, um, but that was written about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's too angry Kill for that. Burn. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. For a happy life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just 300 pages of him saying that. It's like, um, and, uh, so I, I bought him on eBay, but why I'm mentioning it was the guy that was selling him was quite hilarious. So I mm. actually caught, I actually, so this was the item description on eBay for Khan the Betrayer. He's brand, so brand new. So, you know, it's the usual, you know, in, in condition, you know, raw, you know, sending via raw mail. So Khan the Betrayer, model brand new on Sprue. Box a little ripped where I opened it with my sausage fingers. Selling <laughs> as he keeps at giving me funny looks and look shifty when I ask where next door's cat went. <laughs> I just thought that is the most oh. hilarious eBay description ever. Mm. Um, yeah. It got better though, because I, I then obviously I sent, he was doing a, an off, you know, where you can do a best offer. So I made an offer for it and he came back with a counter offer and, you know, obviously when you, on, if you're not familiar on eBay, you can, if you obviously do offers, you can also put a message with it, which is what he did. Mm. So he, he basically thought I was going to offer him for 14 pounds, but, but because of your username, I'm going to offer him uh, for 13 pounds 50. So he, he knocked 50p off because he liked my username on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then what was he, again, it got better. And it was funny nice. because I bought him. I thought, yeah, that's a great deal mm. for him. And yeah. I, I, there was something in my head, knowing the way that this guy had wrote, written his description for him, was I bet he's going to message me. There's something about this guy. Mm. He's going to send me a private yeah. message on eBay about this. And he did. You know, you know, you just see it happening. <laughs> and so he sent me a message basically saying, you know, thanks very much for you know your prompt payment. Uh, I'll get him out. Mm. on. I'll, I'll get Mr. Khan Esquire out yeah. <laughs> in the post <laughs> next week. And it was just great. It was just so good. It was like... You know, it was the, the best eBay sort of purchasing stories mm. I've ever had. Yeah. It, was just, it was just so amusing. So, yeah, so I've got come the Betrayer on the way. Nice. Um, and nicely rolling into that, um, I want to do some corn berserkers for uh, the, for these Chaos Space Marines as well. And um, so, uh, you know, obviously the kit at the moment for the corn berserkers isn't the best really it's very very much showing mm. his age obviously yeah. we probably are guessing that new ones are in the works but when that'll happen who knows yeah so yeah. obviously i've been trying to get hold of some chain axes to put on the you know the newer you know bog standard chaos space marines to basically uh you know, convert them in that way. Uh, so I got some chain axes from Anvil Industries because they came highly recommended. And what's quite good about them is the hands come on the uh, chain axes already. You know, obviously it's something you find obviously when you buy third party parts, especially with weapons, especially melee weapons. Mm. Sometimes, you know, you've actually got to cut, you know, cut the, uh, the handle and, and do it that way. So I wanted the ones with hands. The only, the only, the unfortunate bit about them, and this is a sort of word of warning for anyone else that's got the same idea. The anvil industry ones are just a bit too small. Both the chain axe itself and definitely the hand is too small, really. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably either going to return them or use them for something else, maybe for like cultists or something where they'd be more appropriate. So what I've done is I've ordered some more, but from conversion world in Germany, who, who, if you look on all the Reddit, you know, the subreddits and things like that, they, they're the most, you know, praised chain axes, you know, third party chain axes you can get. So I've got some of them on the way. The only snag is they don't, 
they don't come with hands, uh, so you've got to sort of you know do it that way. But you know, I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll get around it. So yeah, so they're on the way. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they look like as well. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, right. So book wise and reading wise, I have got the Lumineth Realm Lords Battle Tome on the way mm-hmm. because one of the sellers that has an eBay um, store and has now done a uh, their own site called the Troll Trader. Um, I've got some in stock from obviously you know the new uh, Lumineth box kit, and I thought, well, we're going to cover it on the show <laughs> at some point. And some point. they were selling the you know the limited edition you know covered one for the same price. You know, it's twenty. They were selling it for twenty five mm-hmm. quid. You know, for the yeah. uh, and I was thinking, well, it's the same price as buying the book when it comes. You know, when it comes out for general release. I'll get it now. So I'm going to be reading, reading about the Realm Lord scene, which is I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah. What else? Um, I'm, I'm, I've done, when it comes to reading, the sort of reverse of you, Cameron, in the sense that I've listened and completed uh, Man Flayer, but I've got mm-hmm. uh, War of the Spider to read. So I need to read that at some point. So I've done, like I said, the reverse of you. So <laughs> um, Man Flayer is fantastic. <laughs> that's what i'll say nice. um Thanks. as expected <laughs> it's thoroughly good um obviously i'm not really gonna say much because obviously it's you know i don't want to spoil it for people especially the fact it's only just come out uh the only thing i will say about it uh which is not a really spoiling it because obviously if you see adverts for it they've sort of suggested it if you remember when we covered fabius bile a f- you know a fair few episodes ago and if you've not listened to it go listen to it um mm. we there's a bit in his history about the the 13 scars which is a Drakari yeah. sort of uh, you know raiding mm. party and the the tower of flesh and things like that it's basically man flare is about that part of his history so nice. um certain characters turn up that you're really glad turn up it's good, you know, and it, and it, and it seems like a real, you know, because obviously, like, we know that Josh Reynolds is not going to writing for uh, Black Library anymore. So, I, mm. you know, it nicely finishes this trilogy. I'm sure he'll yeah. have further books in the future, but obviously it'll be by a different author. But, yeah, mm. it's really good. If you've enjoyed the first two books of Fabius Bile, uh, Primogenitor and Clone Lord, then Man Flayer is just as sweet. So, yeah, definitely get it if you're into it. So, uh, again, book-wise as well, I've been reading or started reading, again, The Red Path, which is about the com- the Betrayer book. Uh, I say I, I tried re- – well, I started reading it about, I don't know, about a year ago and, and just never finished it, even though there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, so I've restarted that because I'm just in that mood to – to, to read about him so i'm gonna mm. get on with that as well um uh, i suppose my last bit of hobby is soulbound so we're mm. we played did i talk about it last session did we play i think we'd done um, our sort of episode zero i think yeah, or, yeah. or session zero i should say um and since then we've just done our second main session so we've had two sessions since um it's really good it's really really good um it's it, it, you know once you get used to it compared to D and D, yeah, it really clicks. We we have started making a few changes though, um, like we yeah. did like when we played the other day is the the whole initiative thing because what one thing that's sort of the default for Soulbound when it comes to initiative is that you you, know, you have hard initiative scores and mm. <clears throat> that's the order that you fight in basically. Whereas obviously with D and D you roll a d20 and add uh you know obviously a stat to it um so we've basically i think it's it 
it suggests in the rule book you can do that as an alternative because I sort of made the point that that it's very static that way and I like the I like the, yeah. the randomness of the order that you go in because it makes you make other decisions I, you know I'm a bit biased because my stormcast uh, it seems to be sort of towards the end of the initiative I'm sort of <laughs> one of the last people to go um, but but it just didn't seem right that we're always in the same order so yeah we all agreed that so so the point I'm making is that if you are getting into soulbound don't be frightened to you know tweak the rules a bit because you know, to make it more fun, which obviously is the whole point of doing tabletop RPGs. So, but no, we're thoroughly enjoying it. You know, like I said, we're going through um, a campaign which is based on a and d campaign, cause, and mm. which sort of makes sense, really. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's it's good. Really solid, actually. So it's a yeah. nice alternative to D&D. So, yeah, if you're, you know, if you haven't checked out before, you know, do check it out. Um, so lastly, before we finish, is my hobby highlight. Um, so continuing on with, uh, YouTube channels, like I did a few episodes ago, um, I'm going to name play on tabletop. So some people may be familiar with this, basically play on tabletop, uh, a well-known for doing 40 K in 30 or 40 minutes, depending on which season you look at. Yeah. So basically their plan is to basically do a 40 K bat rep in either 30 or 40 minutes. Um, the production value and editing is probably the one of the best you'll see when it's to bat reps. It is fantastic the way they do things. And to to cram a bat rep in half an hour as a as a you know as a viewer is great because you know I you know like you know like a lot of people working from home got YouTube on in the background uh, while you're doing your work or I have anyway and so you know it's a good way to you know to to watch bat reps but obviously the snag with a lot of bat reps quite naturally is they can go on for a long time, you know, two and a half, three hours in some cases. And, and that's fine because that's not a bad thing, but sometimes it's nice to sort of zip through a few of them. So, so basically, yeah, if you've got, you know, if you want to look at 40 K bat reps in a very quick time, but done in a very well done way, I, you not you don't feel like you're losing out because the time on them is heavily, uh, can, is restricted. Then yeah, check out play on tabletop. We'll put the link again in the description. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. I can't, I can't say enough about it. So, right. Okay. Well, I think that's been our hobby. So like I said, mm. no, we've been doing stuff as always. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll take our first little break now. Um, and when we return, we'll be opening up those, those digital newspapers, which are now known as websites to uh, see what news has been happening in the Warhammer universe. <laughs> Back soon. Welcome back. Time to talk news. We have opened that newspaper. Cameron, what are we reading? <laughs> well, uh, as always, folks, let's start off with Warhammer 40,000 news. Mm. And in today's topics, it's new 40k. The hype continueth. <laughs> um, it'll never end until this, until this thing comes out, hopefully soon. We're nearly there. July in like three days. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so the first rule of uh, the first rule, the first snippet. There's the, honestly, um, the first <laughs> snippet of news is about Overwatch. This is very important. Mm. Uh, when this was announced, Corn Berserkers revved their chain axes in joy. Overwatch <laughs> is now a one. <laughs> Overwatch is now a one command point stratagem, which means mm. you can only use it once per charge phase. Who boy? 
I um, know. Still, still only hits on sixes. Some kinds of cover will turn that to fives instead of sixes. Um, but this is a, this is a big change for everyone except the Tau, who are keeping Overwatch. Yeah, thank goodness for them. <laughs> bless them. They they needed it probably. Let's hmm. be honest. Yeah. Um, basically, because they're for the greater good rule says this unit can fire Overwatch uh, when charged. They'll be able to fire Overwatch when charged without a stratagem, and mm. presumably in other armies there will be select units that can do this. But for the most part, uh, you have to use a, you have to use a command point. You have to use it on one unit. You can use it once. This is a pretty good change. Um, mm. Not not because Overwatch is massively damaging, but it can really slow the game down. <laughs> when yeah. Every single charge is accompanied by a full shooting phase, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm happy for it. Honestly, I wasn't doing a ton of Overwatch anyway, so... (laughs) No, I was going to say, yeah, definitely. I think that it's one of those where I think it's not game-breaking enough to, to, Mm. you know, dramatically overhaul, but like I said, it just gives melee armies just a little bit more, you know, to to, uh, aid them, really, which I think is needed, you know, compared to Mm. 8th edition anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, speaking of melee, the Outrider Bikes... Uh, had a bit of a preview. Uh, turns out they're going to be decent at shooting and really good in close combat with, I think, what is it, <laughs> six attacks each on the charge? Yeah, for like four that. wounds. <laughs> for four, they, yeah, they got four wounds, presumably toughness five. Like These these, these things are monstrous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully they are appropriately pointed because, wow, uh, they're real good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else can I say? Um, the Canoptech Reanimator looks to be pretty juicy because uh, at the start of the command phase, hey, that's a new thing we have a command phase in 40k. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if we mentioned that or not. Um, you select a Necron unit within, I believe, nine inches, and as long as that unit is within nine inches, it gets plus one to reanimation protocols. This comes with the news that reanimation protocols for Necrons, which is their roll a dice on a five up, a dead model stands up. Uh, rule is getting a pretty significant change. Um, mm. They have not been specific on how it is exactly changing. The running theory is that reanimation protocols might happen at the end of each phase instead of just at the end of the movement phase. Mm. Which That's a good point. I think would be really interesting because mm. I like, would really emphasize that, like you know, you shoot a few necrons down, a couple of them stand up. You charge in, you cut a few down, a few of them stand up. One of them runs away from morale. A few of them stand up. Um, <laughs> all that Makes kind of sense. good stuff. Yeah. yeah uh, but we will see in the future. Um, something that's not on here. While speaking of morale, morale is changing. If you fail a morale test, one model runs away. And then you roll a d6 for every other model in the unit. On a one, that model runs away as well. Uh, yeah. It's making it less swingy, basically. Like, morale is either it doesn't do anything or the entire unit runs away <laughs> currently. Yeah. Um, this will make it a little simpler. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Yep. Um, strategic reserves. Uh, you can spend a command point to put a unit in and basically outflank. Uh, as the turns go on, they can outflank in different areas. So it starts off just with uh, your table edges and the neutral table edges and then progresses to the enemy table edge, but not the enemy deployment zone. Um, this is really cool. It really reminds me of 5th uh, edition when I had all kinds of gene stealers and stuff, outflanking all the time, lots of fun. Um, and comes with a very interesting niche case scenario, 
which is if you outflank a unit into your own deployment zone, they can be, because uh, they have to be within range of the table edge, uh, they can be outflanked into engaging with an enemy unit, and if they do that, they count as charging and they can't be overwatched at, mm. which is really interesting. Um, so so um, I think we're going to see a lot more in ninth edition of people placing their home objective way close to their board edge. Yeah. And then leave it <laughs> yeah. totally unguarded, and then just, you know, in turn four, a unit of Terminators walks in from the edge of the board and just starts mm. beating up whoever took the objective. Something like that, we'll see. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then... No, I was just going to say, it gives you it gives you options <laughs> as well. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's a nice idea that it, it get, I don't know, it just gets people thinking a bit more as well. And it, I like the fact that a lot of these rules are not relying completely on stratagems. It's sort of now mm. you've got to think a bit more like a commander. Go, right, I've got these guys in reserve. I could bring them on. Yeah. And obviously, which turn you bring them on can make a difference. And I know that's sort of, mm. obviously, we've already got that deep strike, but sort of having this as well and the fact that can, you can do it to units at the cost of command points. Mm to do it to you for units that don't have deep strike i like that again just adds mm. another strategy you know strategic you know uh thing to think about mm. yeah and I, I feel this will give the edges of the board more play like the board is shrinking a little in terms of its minimum sizes but i've noticed already in eighth edition you didn't use the battlefield edge a whole lot like most mm-hmm. of the stuff ended up being sort of centerish and in the deployment zones and nothing else really this gives people incentive to like put objectives closer to board edges to really spread things out uh, to prevent enemies from outflanking them, all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Combat Patrol is our lowest sized game. They had a quick chat about uh, 500 point games effectively or 25 power level. You start with three command points. It's super simple to run because you don't need a lot of models. Uh, the example <laughs> Necron list was a Scorpec Lord, three Scorpec Destroyers, and 20 Necron Warriors, and that's it. That's perfectly yep. valid for an entire game. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a great idea because ultimately, it, it I know obviously even on the previous editions, you could play 500 points, or, you know, that it's mm-hmm. a thing, but I like the fact they're making it easier for people, especially for people where, you, you know, you you know, doing 2000 points from either from a time, you know, to actually play a game or time just to get an army built and painted for that is a hard thing for a lot of people to have a, you know what, mm. you know, okay, you don't want to do kill team. You don't want, want to play, you know, full 40 K, but you don't want to have to do a lot of models. Here we go. You've got missions. You've got, you know, you don't only need a couple of kill team boards. If you want to, you know, base mm. it on that, yeah. you just, you know, you don't need many units, but you can play a full game, you know, with effect, a full game of 40 K and, mm. you know, sorted. I like that. I love that idea. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, excellent. So that's that's what we've heard about New 40K thus far. Um, as I said earlier, it's drawing ever closer. They've said July, mm-hmm. which probably means the end of July, but I yeah. really want... We still haven't had our Sunday pre-order preview. It's entirely no. possible that it's <laughs> this Saturday is the pre-order. Maybe. July. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that will, we won't know until later. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, currently on pre-order, starting this weekend, available probably by the time you're listening to this, uh, Psychic Awakening Pariah mm. uh, is coming. Very interestingly, Pariah doesn't include any rules for Necrons or Sisters of Battle. Uh, the explanation here being that Necrons, are, their codex is confirmed to be one of the first ones coming. Therefore, it's kind of 
inconsequential to give them rules here that they've already said are going to be folded into the codexes anyway, mm-hmm. um, because the Night Head codexes will take, quote-unquote, the best bits of Vigilus and Psychic Awakening and all that and put them in, so most of it, I guess. Um, but there are rules for the Inquisition. Index Inquisition is getting updated, and there are rules for Theatres of War, uh, so mm. different battlefield conditions, which... Some of them look pretty interesting, honestly. There were a couple in um, War of the Spider, which I actually really liked. Actually, think back. There is there is a theater of war where you just place a bunch of assassins on the board, and they're automatically controlled. Um, like you know, they have rules of attack the nearest character and stuff like that. Um, so stuff like that could be fun. We'll mm. see. Yeah. And obviously all the lovely, lovely models are coming along with that. So the Sister Ephrael Stern and Kaiganil are coming. Illuminor Seras is coming. Inquisitor Kyra Draxus is coming. Um, they, they all look pretty good. They're all up for pre-order. They're all soon to be available. Um, yes. Yeah. And uh, the final bit of 40k news. On your music player of choice, you can purchase... The Angels of Death soundtrack. So the soundtrack <laughs> for the animated series by Richard Boylan, now that he's officially been uh, funded by Games Workshop to produce some cool Blood Angels versus Tyranid space battle stuff. Yeah. Uh, we still don't know when the show is coming, but the show's soundtrack is here and ready to go, so I'm really excited. I've had a little listen to the snippet they put up on YouTube. Sounds nice. Cool. Uh, haven't got it yet. Yeah. Um, all good. This week, we have Age of Sigmar news, everybody. Hooray! Hooray. Age what of Sigmar exists for the first time in three episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, and the news is thusly, the Lumineth Realm Lords have been unleashed. They are available to purchase mm. uh, now before the box runs out, um, which it might have already run out in your area, probably has. Um, this, this is obviously is the Illumineth Realm Lords army set. It is not the full release of the faction. Um, but it has the full battle tome in it. It ha- has the, uh, spearmen, the cavalrymen, and Eltarion, uh, the, the cool hollow suit of armor in it, uh, as well as a whole bunch of war scroll cards, faction tokens, all the kinds of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks pretty cool. I have avoided the temptation. I don't need to start any more armies. Than I already have. Same. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so the Lumineth Realm Lords have had their nominal release, presumably, I would say maybe in August at the latest. Yeah. They'll get the full army release, just you don't want to keep it too long, but nope. you don't don't want to tread on 9th edition's toes too much, <laughs> so we'll see how that works out. Um, and after that, the Bayamat, Sons of Bayamat nope. will come nope. eventually, <laughs> please. Um in other in other other news, uh, so out of AOS, we're out of 40k. Uh, Forge World has reopened. Titans immediately sold out. I know, um, <laughs> which is the funniest. It's <laughs> all the money people have not been spending during lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> ah, yeah. Finally, I can like, buy I a Titan at last. <laughs> people complain about how expensive Forge World is, but the thing to go first was the most expensive model <laughs> that Forge World produces. <laughs> sure, guys. Okay. Uh. Whatever. Um, yeah, but it's open again. Get get all your, get all your good stuff. Uh, I'm personally waiting until end of September, at which point I'll see what I'm doing. But I might buy some stuff from Forge World. We'll see. Um, <laughs> now, UK ebook prices. I believe the news here is that mm. the VAT has been rescinded for ebooks in the UK. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, basically the yeah they've 
it's a, it's a small thing, but you know, it's basically about 20% that, uh, that these books will go down by, which is quite good actually. Cause I must admit mm. one thing I've always found frustrating is when the eBooks are generally more expensive than the physical books when, you know, yeah. all the time I'd want, I'd rather have a physical book, but obviously if the ebook was, you know, cheap enough, you think, well, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just grab that, you know, and, and go with that really. So yeah, they basically mm. have, cause for ages, you know, paperbacks, hardbacks have been exempt from VAT, but ebooks haven't. Mm. And now finally they've caught them up. So basically ebooks right. are, you know, are going to be cheaper. So yeah. Cool. Um, continuing on. Uh, in the one bit of news from last year, I don't think anyone remembered. <laughs> um, <laughs> Warhammer 40,000 and Marvel Comics have teamed up. We learned that last year. It was very cool and exciting at the time. Then we didn't hear anything from it for about eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have the cover. We've mentioned it early in the show. Uh, the first Warhammer 40,000 Marvel comic is Calgar. Mm-hmm. Marnius Calgar. Something like that. It, it, it's about Marnie's Calgar being cool and grim and dark, and dark and grim in a very bright and colourful, rounded art style. Um, it okay. looks like um, Cable from X Men. <laughs> oh my god, he kind of does. Um, <laughs> this is this is. I'm not. I'm not a big comic buff. Uh, I think the closest I got was when I read a whole bunch of the old Phantom comics that my dad mm. had in a box. <laughs> um, uh, but. It it's really cool. It's a it's a nice thing that uh, we're getting an official comic series published by Marvel. I'm mm-hmm. not super a fan of the art style overall. It's every time I look at those round bubble fronted Primaris helmets, it's really confusing to me because in terms of models, like they are definitely more hard edged and sleek as opposed yeah. to this is very round. Um, but hopefully the story is good. Hopefully the rest of the art is nicer uh it looks cool it's an officially branded marvel comic of 40k who can really complain too much you know mm. yeah uh, we're, we're big leagues now apparently which is still very <laughs> weird <laughs> yeah um and uh the the final bit of news for today the necromunda roadmap has been updated uh so Early in the year, a roadmap for Necromunda was published saying, you know, in each quarter we would be getting a delicious, delicious House of X book uh, in the style of House of Chains, because House of Chains was fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a really, really good book. If you're into Necromunda at all, get it. Um, that roadmap has been updated. Obviously, at this point, we've kind of missed the Q2 um destination you know uh yep. <laughs> no no necromunda books coming out in second quarter this year <laughs> sorry to say um who who to thunk um but uh house of blades is still coming uh in the third quarter so between july and september sometime i'm hoping july um <laughs> it, it's kind of a toss-up for me whether this saturday is house of blades or ninth edition so we're gonna see mm. uh we're gonna see i think it's gonna be one or the other um and then in Q4, we will have, I believe it's... Uh, Orlok. House of, yeah, so it's House of Iron. Yeah, yeah. As, as I can't remember if it's uh, Orlok or um, Vansar. So no, it's Orlok. Yeah. And then presumably Q1 next year will be Vansar. So it's a, it's a bit disappointing for some Necromunda players. I know it's a bit more of a wait than we were all hoping for, but, you know, the worldwide pandemic happened yeah. right when exactly. we are meant to be getting House of Blades come out, so it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and 
again, this is Games Workshop being really well supportive of Necromunda. Yeah. It must make them a ton of money. I have no other explanation for why they're dumping so many incredible books into it. <laughs> and they're being super, super clear. This is what I love. They're being so clear about when things are coming. Yeah, definitely. Which is really I mean, nice. especially with, with the way things have shifted because uh, of the world mm. situation. It's nice that they've acknowledged it. Not just like, yeah, yeah, we'll get around to it eventually. It's like, okay, no, you know, the things are shifted, but, you know, mm. that's to be expected. You know, yeah. everything, the whole, you know, their whole release schedule is you know, gone awry because of obviously oh, the world. Yeah. And, and that's fine because that's more important than release schedules, you know, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, uh, so they're just readjusting things. <laughs> and so I'm sure we'll see things a little bit quicker mm. than anticipated. Some things will be out slower, you know, again, like with the net commander yeah. stuff, you know, they've just yeah. had to rejig things around. And, and ultimately apart from obviously we knew what the original roadmap for net commander was. We don't know the map, you know, prior to the world pandemic, so yeah, it's not like yeah. we say, well, this was definitely coming out then. We don't know because mm. we, you know, they yeah, they keep yeah, that exactly. secret. <laughs> so mm. we don't know any different, yeah. really. Yeah. Honestly, all I want is I want Games Workshop to use this style of roadmap for every other thing they publish. Like the generic this quarter you will see would be all I mm. want. I don't want a specific month because I know shipping and other world events can really throw things off as we saw with the Silvernet last year. Mm. But yeah. like, I, w- I would love to see a, you know, Q- Q1 2021, you'll see Orcs, Gene Stealer Colts, and Tyranids. And then Q- Q2, you'll see Imperial Guard and Adeptus Custodes or something like that. And just like, yeah. in-, in this span of three months, which is a long time, these are the rough things that are coming. Plus, like, or not, not everything, just the big things that are coming. Like, yeah. tell us about Codex and Battle Tome releases in terms of these quarters. Just... It would be nice. I, I think part of the release fatigue people feel is they don't know what to plan for. Like, this yeah. thing came out. I don't know if anything else cool is coming out, so I might as well jump on this. And then two weeks later, this th- this cool thing came out. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I think that, yeah, I mean, obviously, selfishly, for us as a podcast, it would help because then we could plan a bit mm. better when it's like, oh, we can cover oh that. God, book. it or, would be very helpful. It, it would make things a lot easier. But, but. But as a, you know, as a, as a buyer as well and a, a collector, mm. yeah, it, it would be so much easier if you go, yeah, this army is roughly going to come out in this, this period. And then, like you said, you can have, you can then plan accordingly, uh, for that. Mm. Again, I know they, I suppose they wouldn't do that probably to a degree because they want people to, you know, not <laughs> stop things, you know, because obviously if you go, yeah. oh, well, um, you know, like say, you know, we were talking about corn berserkers earlier. If they decided, right, in this quarter, corn berserk, you know, corn world eaters are getting an update. You mm. go, well, I'll, I'll put the brakes on what I'm working on then. And, and I won't yeah. buy the current berserkers, you know, because mm. I don't need to because they're getting updated. Whereas if you don't know about it, you may think, oh, sod it. I'll buy them now. And then mm. unfortunately, you know, maybe in a month's time they'll yeah. come out and you, you know, that, yeah. it, but I mean, it's like, you know, on, on the other side of that, like, sure, I see world eaters are coming in two months' time. I'm not going to get berserkers. I am going to get like a bunch of molar fiends and rhinos. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it'll yeah. drive sales in other ways as much as yeah. it puts. Them I down, agree. I, think. I agree. But that's probably what goes through their minds, is what. Yeah. Sort of suggesting. Yeah. All right. Um. And th- that that's it. I yeah. believe that is the news. Um. Yeah. There's, there's, some stuff is happening that is not new 40k. Who'd have thunk it was not the only <laughs> thing in existence uh, anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we like I said, we zip through that new section just because obviously we the main section is going to be 
you know, going to be sizable. We've got plenty to talk about. So, but you know, mm. you, you're caught up now, or at least until yeah, you know, <laughs> next time when obviously, hopefully, <laughs> we'll get more information. Like I said, today what is the 28th of June, and it's a Sunday, so there, like I said, there'll be a pre-order article, mm. you know, later today, which soon. we obviously, yep, exactly. So Ooh. we'll see what's coming. <laughs> So, yeah. right, okay, we're going to take our next little break. Uh, definitely grabbing our drinks because mm. things are going to get a bit, bit, bit thirsty. I'm parched. <laughs> I'm feeling parched. Parched. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about the great parch back soon. Welcome back and welcome to the mortal realms a particular part of the mortal realms known as the great parch so yeah this is a an area which has been quite heavily documented in the <laughs> the uh, soulbound book that's just recently come out um obviously the great parch itself has has existed obviously in other uh, aos documentation but like i said this is this was actually quite well i felt was quite surprising actually when uh, for anyone mm. that's read or looked into Soulbound, it's like it's quite a hearty bit of <laughs> bit of lore and and background. I thought mm. anyway, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's really good. And so we thought, well, this is actually quite a good thing for us to cover as a main topic. So uh, we'll do an overview of it, and I suppose it's going to be a geographical, historic, social mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. overview. Yeah. Of the area, because that's what it's mainly about. Obviously, we'll talk about wars and things like that. But yeah, it actually, you know, is to sort of get give you an idea of what the place is like to actually live in and things like that. And I think, mm. you know, for both of us anyway, where we're sort of very much into the culture of Warhammer, yes. you know, like it's not all about just yes. bolters and chainsaws. It's like, yeah, like it's it's nice to actually sort of get to the sort of ground level and see how things tick. So, so yeah, so be prepared. That is what a lot of this will sort of be talk you know be us be talking about and and also hopefully from this as well i what well, i think we both agree that it's quite some of the bits in this are quite inspiring so from a an aos sort of narrative point of view uh, so not just if you were playing soulbound but also if you you know from a tabletop point of view um there's some uh, it's worth reading and or from what we tell you is that it's you know very quite inspiring actually you know there's some really cool mm. bits of lore and history in this area Absolutely. so yeah so hopefully like i said it will inspire some of you that'll be really cool uh so so mm. we'll so kick it off in a second uh but you know but just a, as a quick thing the great parch is an area in akshi um and is you know before we get into the the meat of it it's just well known for for a lot of history mainly one of the big things this is where the stormcast eternals were first bought you know brought onto the mortal realms mm. basically this is where they first yeah. sort of uh, kicked off things so that's one of the main you know things it's well known for but uh, but yeah we'll cover that as time goes on so mm-hmm. sit down get your paintbrush <laughs> relax don't drink your paint uh, water <laughs> <laughs> and get ready so we'll start with the folk of flame so the people of the great parch basically know what it is to sort of dig in and survive you know they they experience some of the worst treatment in the mortal realms especially during the age of uh, chaos until sigma like i said sigma's tempest arrived to sort of help save the day but not quite <laughs> uh, yeah. the people have uh, have actually you know believe, their sort of belief is to live life to the fullest you know with 
fire, passion, and violence, you know, if required. So, you know, that fight for what you hold dearest sort of uh, mentality, yeah. you know, uh, as you'd expect, they're quick to anger, and but, you know, equally quick to laugh if uh, if the situation dictates it, uh, you know, wear their heart on their sleeve, uh, so to speak. So in addition mm-hmm. to that, they hold practicality over decoration, you know, i.e., a blade being, yeah. sh- you know, being sharp is more important than it looking pretty. Uh, and therefore, because of that, they high, you know, they hold you know, uh, warriors in high esteem. But knowledge is also a big advantage as well, especially if you can find important things such as water. Hence why mm-hmm. the Sylvaneth are looked up to as well. Uh, as you'd imagine, many have, you know, fallen to chaos in the past, as would be with any different realms, really, demonstrating you know, these same beliefs and traits and such like uh, with the, the strong, the ones that are surviving. For those who didn't bend to the, the dark gods, survival was a, the only real, you know, objective for them. Uh, that was, in, again, until Sigma and the Stormcast Eternals arrived to basically, you know, inspire that, you know, that self-belief back into them and get that uh, sort of burning desire, you know, burning bright once again. So uh, for a bit of history as well. So in the in the age of myth, before Sigma arrived, uh, the people actually had to deal with the the warring Volk giants, which sound amazing. Uh, base, you know, and as you can imagine, the the people and natives there were basically getting stuck in between. So you got imagine these huge giants, you know, fighting amongst each other, and mm. with just these lowly <laughs> normal humans and other <laughs> races below them uh, getting stuck in the way, and the, you know, basically being viewed as cattle. Um, that was until mm. Sigmar turned up and decided to kill all the Volk giants. Uh, and basically, even now in in the realm, their skulls still reside in the the Flame Scar Plateau, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. So, as Sigmar went through different realms, you know, civilizations as we know, civilizations appeared. Uh, even though you know, even through Akshi, which is not an ideal landscape for civilization in mm. general because of the way it is, uh, the biggest impact he actually had on Akshi was actually in one of the other realms, Shaman, which again, if you know your AOS history, you'd be familiar with, which is where he freed the Dwarden gods uh, Grungni and Grimnir. Grungni uh, vowed to help as at some point in the future, but Grimnir, you know, had that sort of burning desire to help, you know, to repay Sigmar you know, basically as quickly as, uh, as possible. And then that's led mm. where he led to the, his fight with the mother of Salamander's Volcatrix. And uh, <laughs> they battled in what is now the Great Parch, which is obviously what we're talking about, which ended up mm. with Grim, Grimnir slaying her, but he ended up dying in the process because she erupted, which yeah. sounds very cool as well. Um, <laughs> so this affected the land, as you'd imagine, in many ways, you know, the fertility in the ground, agriculture, kingdoms, expanse of civilization, you know, basically all laying claim to the land that had, you know, been made from this. Uh, the most prominent was the uh, Agloraxi Empire, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, a people who would enslave those lacking in magical skill uh, with their ruling class that was named the uh, Arch Domini, uh, basically who were obsessed with the pursuit of arcane power and, and such like, as as you would see with other races. Um, they would create what was known as the Colossi, which are these massive constructs that were literally the size of a mountain. Um, and these uh, Colossi were basically the builders of their sorceress engines and also warriors too. They did the fighting for them. Um, this led to their greatest weapon, the Prismaticon, <laughs> which I love the name of that, um, which could turn, basically turn the light and the heat of, of the realm itself into basically 
an energy blaster, uh, mm. for a better term, uh, wiping out literally body, and it could actually wipe out the soul of whoever it was fired at. Oh, so the okay. the Arch Domini could summon this weapon, uh, this weapon, whenever they wanted via their basically their rods of power, which are the, known as the scepters of flame, uh, which meant uh, kings and warlords etc. would come play pay tribute to them. Uh, you know, because obviously they were probably a bit scared by that, um, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. their floating capital, which was known as Aramentia. Um, however, despite this, their genius, including what was known as the Titan Works, which is basically where the Colossi were built, um, and the what was known as the Impossible Orrery, which would basically was supposedly could realign realm gates. It was that powerful. Um, they basically grew bored, uh, became quite insular and retreated back to their capital and basically left the new powers that were forming in the realm to fight over it. So the main two of this being uh, those of Asperia, which are basically similar to them, i.e. they were very magical based, but they embrace freedom, uh, you know, in comparison. Uh, and uh, Batar, which are basically a... Uh, an empire of traders who, who luckily resolved any differences amongst themselves and, and basically formed an alliance together. Um, the experiments of the Asperians caused the creation of what was known as the polychromatic sea. The, the Batar <laughs> built their uh, Iron Armada Navy who protected uh, any water traveling traders, basically uh, between the two powers, between these two empires, uh, they'd come together and they, created what's known as the floating market of uh, floating market of Batar, which I'll be talking about later. However, to the east, the tribes would basically try to become something, but would generally go back to quite barbaric ways and argue amongst each other with only real tribes such as the Dyer brands becoming known for their their honour and blacksmithing. Uh, but, you know, as things happen, along comes chaos. So... <laughs> There, once upon a time, there was a con, a uh, contest known as the Red Feast, where basically wannabe champions would travel to what was known as the Clavis Isles and eventually led to 888 champions falling, many to <laughs> Corn, uh, known Corn Lord Corgus Cool, uh, which led to a realm gate exploding and out popped a huge demon host. Uh, yay. talking, uh, yay, just what we need. Um, so talking about corn, of all the chaos powers wanting a piece of that Akshi pie, corn uh, wanted it the most due to the natives feeling basically like a reflection of him, you know, with their fiery nature. Mm. Uh, this gave rise to said Corgus Cool, uh, who formed his Gortide and went on a, basically on a realm-sized rampage, which led to the <laughs> southern part of the Great Parch being named what's known as Cool's Ravage. Uh, basically, he conquered countless tribes and kingdoms, gave captives the choice of <laughs> of being at the table or being on the table because basically they were cannibals so <laughs> you could either join them or be eaten uh which obviously a lot of them agreed to join and hence why he's gore-tied mm. um you know basically you know in increased um asperia yeah. Yeah. had to deal with the for forces of zinch a uh, basically a magical war as you'd imagine which led to whole segments of the shore being carved away with pieces of entire shoreline being transported to the realm of chaos with the uh, the remainder known as the dis sorry disintegrating shore uh mm -hmm. the army's uh, of corn came from the east, causing the Asperians to put up wards and you know flee into their cities. Some fled across the ocean of swords, but a lot were taken out by Chaos warbands. Uh, Nurgle ships destroyed completely the whole Iron Armada of Batar, uh, with most 
killed or put into slavery uh, with the sort of situation where they have to carry their own gold and goods on their own roads while being whipped, you know, as a sort of form of mockery. Um, as Sigmar retired back to the heavens as part of his sort of tempest, uh, the remaining people had to endure years of Corn's forces being hunted. Some of them had to turn to cannibalism. Crops were being ruined. Like, so to the point where crops in, in quote marks were mm. fields of rusted swords and bones and bleeding Ooh. roots. Lovely place. Um, the Agoraxi uh, managed to wipe out a whole army uh, with their Prismaticon, but supposedly this angered Corn so much, he wiped out their capital city with a giant red fist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Wow. Uh, so, uh, obviously, as you'd imagine, some t- turned to the Dark Gods and went into hiding until Cameron. Until Sigma's storm. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, Sigma chose the Great Parch as the first sort of, I would call this basically a nuclear test site for Stormcast Eternals. Um, <laughs> just, you know, throw, throw a few dozen storm hosts down there and see what happens. Uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, uh, back to the drawing board. Uh, fortunately for all the people of the Great Parch, it worked pretty well. Um, Vander's Hammerhand led the Hammers of Sigma and a dozen other storm hosts. Uh, against Corgus Cool and his Gortide, just as Corgus Cool was on the brink of ascension to demonhood. And they gave him his first defeat ever. Mm. He had never lost a battle before then. Uh, after which, the Stormcast Eternals sort of just flooded all over Akshi, uh, fighting back the forces of Corn and Chaos in general. Um, aided by the Sylvaneth and the Seraphon, this is, this is the time of the Realm Gate Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, pretty quickly spilled out of Akshi and just sort of covered <laughs> absolutely everything else. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about Akshi. There, there's, a, there's, something, there's something important here. During the Realmgate Wars, Archaeon the Everchosen stole the sun from Akshi. Uh, now, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> to be clear, he stole the second sun from Akshi, uh, because Akshi, uniquely to all the other realms, had two suns. One, obviously, was Haish, uh, floating off far and away, uh, that acts as the sun for most mortal realms. But they had a second sun, this blazing, burning orb that just kind of sat up in the sky of Akshi. Um, and uh, it's pretty impressive that you stole the sun, especially when it turns out the sun was, in fact, the solar drake Ignax. Uh, so <laughs> essentially a massive, ever-flaming dragon uh, that had been chained up there by Grimnir and Grungni during the Age of Myth. And after a titanic struggle, Archaeon managed to gain control of Ignax by plunging his sword into her head. Uh, but he was unaware that the Fire Slayers had uh, secretly put a rune of binding hidden onto uh, Ignax's flesh. Basically, the cost of all the Fire Slayers uh, of the All-Star Lodge d- dying. Like, they, they went on a mission to stand on the sun and brand the sun. It, it didn't end well for them. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, he didn't know about that, but he's like, cool, I've got control of this massive, cool dragon. Um, so while the Stormcast Eternals set off to seal the Brimstone Gate between actually the eight points, um, Archaeon went, cool, I'll unleash this awesome drake that I've got. Uh, unshackled it and was immediately very angry to behold it, it turning around and eating the forces of chaos instead of the forces of order. Um... Ultimately, that battle was won, and the Brimstone Gate was sealed forever. So the All Points 
are apparent, or the eight points are apparently actually missing uh, one place they can go to. They can't go to Akshi currently, which I mm. don't know. Mm, Very I interesting. Yeah. Uh, and slowly, <clears throat> painstakingly, uh, for the first time in centuries, civilization began to reemerge over Akshi. Uh, wherever realm gates were seized by Stormcast, new settlements were built with the help of P- Dispossessed and the Ironweald Arsenal. Uh, a lot of the surviving tribes journeyed to the new settlements, uh, joined up with settlers from Azir, and they they started building cities. Uh, this was the time where cities like Anvilgard, Tempest's Eyes, Hallowheart, and Hammerhall were all founded. Um, they spent decades consolidating their hold on the southern region of the Great Parch, uh, launching sorties such as the Blazing Crusade to seize new territory. Uh, Chaos, obviously, continually fighting back, because what else are they going to do? <laughs> uh, and Hammerhall Aksha was basically permanently under siege uh, for this period of time. Um, and, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere. There are these burgeoning cities and towns, but the routes between them are still incredibly dangerous to travel. In the west, the Batari took advantage of the Stormcast Eternal's distraction uh, to basically team up with the Fire Slayers and retake their cities. Uh, it was it was revenge uh, against the forces of Chaos, but it was a very bittersweet revenge because pretty much almost all of the uh, native Batari died reclaiming their land. And not long after that, the Asperians emerged to join the struggle as well. Uh, very unhappy with the fact that their country was disintegrating um, <laughs> off into the <laughs> realm of chaos. Um, they basically immediately joined up with the armies of Azir and said, hey, we're hella good at magic. Let's fight siege. Um, <laughs> and for, for a century, this went on. The great cities growing larger and larger um, and new settlements rising up all across the Great Parch. Although it's not a perfect, happy, lovey-dovey relationship between Azerite settlers and the natives. Uh, a lot of tribes uh, that survived the Age of Chaos wanted to reclaim their old lands. Some of them begrudgingly accepted help from the Stormcast Eternals, but others firmly rejected them because they're very unnatural and creepy. Um, <laughs> and most of these nomadic tribes view settlers from Azir with suspicion to this day. Uh, and, uh, just, you know, just a few generations after that, after that all started, so sort of right around, uh, they're wrapping up and finally feel settled in their cities, sages and soothsayers all across the mortal realms were screaming about imminent doom, because, uh, this is, we're just about to fall into Age of Sigmar 2nd edition, Nagash <laughs> has built his Black Pyramid, he's had enough, all these soul thieves everywhere, Nagash did nothing wrong, everyone. Um, <laughs> he he uh, he did he did a necroquake upon everyone. Uh, we we all know how this goes. He had a perfect plan. The Skaven got in amongst it and messed everything up for him. Uh, but you know, millions and billions of ghosts were still unleashed across the mortal realms, <laughs> uh, which it turns out was especially bad in Akshi because the entire entirety of the Great Parch had basically been a giant slaughtering ground for several centuries at this point. Uh, and so skeletons and shrieking ghosts just appeared overnight, covering the entire area. A million-strong host of spectres assaulting Hammerhall everywhere that had seen war uh, was suffering from this. Not just cities of order, but also strongholds of chaos were under assault. Fire Slayer magma holds that had survived through the Age of Chaos were 
gone in a night as you know ghosts just kind of floated through all the defenses because ghosts <laughs> um and of course the spell casting in Akshi kind of went off the rails with the introduction of wild uh living magic mm. um but you know that's all history what about the culture the culture the life on the great parch yeah. well Akshi is not just volcanoes and ash deserts uh, to the point that even some areas don't really suffer with any heat at all. Uh, but saying that, heat does really dominate <laughs> in this realm, as you'd imagine. Uh, you have, you know, the humid jungles of Charwind Coast and the Capricorn Range, or you've got the Kinlin Forests, uh, where the pyrewood trees continually burn. Uh, basically, this stretches to sort of magma rivers near uh, the Adamantine chain mountains the searing sea with its yellow green water or the ice tundra of kotha uh basically the natives apart from the fire slayers uh use masks to deal with the dust storms heat lightning uh, and the ash created from the many many volcano eruptions uh there's also the thing known as the dance of the spheres so they see this is where haish and ulgu shift to basically make what we'd know as the day week month cycle uh so mm. roughly you know 30 days in a month uh, each day is sort of 26 to 30 hours depending on where you are you know because time timey-wimey mm. you know spacey-wacey yeah, yeah. uh, and things like that so yeah it's but it sort of fits with what we would commonly know uh it affects the light but ironically it doesn't really affect the heat that much especially at night where mm. you know you expect it to be okay. cooler at night eh, not really no. um <laughs> it doesn't really happen in, in actually um it has three moons you've got Thaquia, the Fireheart, you've got Evergain, the First Spark, and you've got the Orb Infernia. Uh, basically, the first two hurtle around the sky, making it a nice warm red, whereas the Orb Infernia is lovingly a demon, a demon-infested collection of dead worlds, which make it a nice deep blood red in the oh. sky. Just what you want. They're beautiful, exactly. Um, there is a realm gate known as the Flame Heart, which burns bright in Akshi, which is fed by etheric hurricanes that come from the unreachable mountain in the north, lighting up the sky. Uh, we also have other parts that create a lot of colour. You've got the eruptions of the Vostagi Mont, uh, which we'll cover later, and the Adamantine Chain creates sort of oranges and red and azure hues um, due to the deposits of sulphur that are there. Uh, but don't forget the burning trees of the Kinlan Forest and the bright mountains doing similar as well. Um, Let's talk about water. Uh, water has always been a problem in the Great Parch, with it being, <laughs> you know, to the point where it's, it's imported, uh, even back in the mm. Age of Myth, basically due to the seas nearby, ranging from boiling to acidic. So, Ooh. not exactly drinking water. Uh, the various no. settlements and cities do what they can. Uh, they got wind stills, uh, cacti farms, uh, cisterns that store water, uh, with basically as much protection as they can install, uh, because obviously they've got the threat of gloom spike gits and skaven you know burrowing up from below uh water is still imported and hopefully the eventual crops grown will provide favor with the bigger cities as well so that hence why it's sort of you know scratching backs sort of situation mm. um but this has seen the introduction of the uh aqua gyranis uh in just the offshoot in Soulbound, the game itself that is actually your currency mm. um yeah. Uh, if you didn't know um realm of life water that can basically heal as well as nourish again in the game you can use it to heal so your currency heals you it's quite funny um <laughs> as well as well as nourish but but is rare to say the least uh in contrast some of the towns uh that 
uh, that have they there have like basically solid stone foundations uh, that can have fresh water wells uh, thanks to some building from the iron weld arsenal uh, where where the water is often coming down from the uh, flame scar plateau when you think of rain it generally isn't a good thing here because uh, basically when it comes down it comes down uh, you know huge downpours causing floods or in some cases killing off the crops due to its you know sulfur makeup basically um yeah let's talk about the deserts uh, you got the the arable side <laughs> just what you wanted here let's talk about some farming the arable side of the great parch is not in a good position either uh, with most of it ruined during the age of chaos uh, Capillaria has uh, irrigation networks that combined with the aquagaranis I just mentioned. Um, basically, uh, the, the combination of these provide crops so that it can be grown even in harsh conditions. Uh, however, when Corgus Cool and his Gortide started their reign of terror, the Cool's Ravage I mentioned, uh, the networks became so clotted with gore that they stopped working because basically the nearby rivers were so washed with blood it would then like i said clot in these networks which mm. is absolutely disgusting um yeah. and it ended up with the land so infused with blood it got the name the scab lands due to the earth cracking Ooh. and brown <laughs> oh. Oh. beautiful um the magic of algaraxi has uh, corrupted the earth of iridian and the flame scar plateau thanks to the sorceress constructs and slaves that were there previously um i mean basically ultimately one of order's biggest tasks is dealing with this farming situation uh destroying chaos and you know trying to raise settlements in their place uh this has led to new ways to innovate uh, for example in tempest eye they have the hanging gardens that sort of basically go over these sort of porous stone uh, pillars that carry water uh, or in some of the settlements they have drip irrigation systems with an ingenious balance between science and nature uh, saying all this if the farmers have access to water plus the natural heat of the realm crops can thrive ultimately uh, with the local staple being the fever cactus due to its spicy taste um, <laughs> and can obviously help feed the masses that's it we want to we want a fever cactus curry please um, yeah <laughs> Let's uh, quickly talk about trade. So trade has started to pick up in the region, especially since the Stormcast Eternals and the Forces of Order have gained victories here. Uh, trade is difficult, saying that, uh, due to moving goods around the realm is a long and quite dangerous task, you know, because merchants uh, will end up using air or sea, if possible, uh, to move these goods, which obviously brings its own danger. Uh, so this leads to airships traveling between settlements, which the carriage on uh, overlords have sort of seen as a money-making opportunity in the way of providing an escort for these goods. Uh, if the la- if land travel is the only option, then armament is all about armored caravans and guards. Uh, so maybe even using the realm gates if they're brave enough. Uh, trade pioneers, that's one of the classes in Soulbound. Uh, trade pioneers aim to find the best routes, uh, but threat of chaos and the undead, like from the Necroquake that Cameron mentioned, uh, obviously doesn't make this easy. Uh, the goods that they do sell are a mixed affair. Some settlements can only trade in crops, or maybe salted meats of Anvilgard, for example, or even the finest optics gear from Tempest Eye. So, all range of goods. Uh, people will come far and wide to basically visit the floating city of Batar to see what goods they have on offer. So, things are going down. Nice. Yeah. Well, there sounds, certainly sounds like there's a lot of immigration and industry going on in action. Mm. So surely it's all uh, tickety-boo, lovely, jubbly, friendly uh, relations. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not, actually. There's a Funny lot of that. tension between the native population and the uh, the imported Azerite 
population. Uh, true, true. The Stormcasts gave us infrastructure, roads, wine, education, aqueducts. But what else have they given us recently? Eh? <laughs> um, no, uh, there is there is uh, some tension, particularly between Azerites and natives. Uh, Azerites brought their civilized ways to Akshi, uh, including the unfortunately frequent belief that their ways are somehow better than those of the natives. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a very tribal area. If you ask someone from the Great Parch who they are, they almost invariably will mention what tribe they come from first. Uh, the majority of Azerites, uh, immigrants, especially humans, call themselves the folk of Sigma. And, uh, most of them readily trust, uh, anyone else, uh, saying they're folk of Sigma, but people from other realms, oh, not too sure, not too sure about that. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and the Azerites refer to people recently joining Sigma cities or those without direct family to connections to Azir as the reclaimed. Um, much to the Azerites' irritation, however, tribal pride has already won out in the cities. Most city folk now take pride in saying, I'm from Hallowheart, or a riftsider of Hammerhall Aksha, rather than using the term folk of Sigma. The worst among the Azerites regard all Axians as uncouth barbarians, and murmur accusations that even if they didn't end up worshipping Chaos, they had to have committed cannibalism to survive anyway. So they're really, they're just beneath us. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's not it's not all not all sunshine and rainbows in uh, no. mortal realms. No, funny that. Uh, yeah, but the Axians themselves don't really do anything to uh, dis discourage this uh, this looking down upon them because they personally believe that all the Azerites descend from cowards who hid behind the sealed gates of Azir while the rest of the mortal <laughs> realms suffered, which is a very fair belief, I would say. Honestly. I was going to say there's some truth behind that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, these beliefs are bolstered by a lot of the tribes still being wary of Stormcast Eternals, notably because they don't return to ashes when they die, as all <laughs> things must. They're improper, mm. they're unnatural. Um, <laughs> these tribal origins have made assimilation into Azerite cities contentious. Uh, tribes of the Great Parch are usually led by a chieftain, or sometimes a holy personal seer. Their hierarchies are usually not a lot more complex than that. Tribe members judge each other according to their merits and what they do, not by birth or status. And Azerite cities obviously have a distinct split between high-born and low-born people, with noble families having a lot more wealth and influence than competence in many cases. Um, the prejudice, thus, in the Great Parch is usually about one's origins and station rather than one's species or gender. These prejudices are exacerbated by politics that most actions don't really comprehend and don't want to bother comprehending. <laughs> they don't want to. They don't want to learn these Azerites' nonsense of political gambling and gaming. Uh, no, no, no. Um, the split in culture is really evident in clothing and how they present themselves as well. Azerites and those that want to sort of ingratiate themselves with them wear white, blue, and silver with gold adornments and fancy jewels. They're usually inclined to wear heavy clothing and plate armor with enchantments that let them, you know, survive the heat while wearing all that extra stuff. Whereas Axians bear tribal tattoos and scars. Um, they wear bright red, orange, and pale yellow fabric. If they have jewelry, it's usually simple and light. They would rather show their wealth with a fine blade forged beneath Vostagimont or by sharing aqua garanas from their personal water skin with guests. Uh, they don't really wear heavy armor because it's impractical, and also because a lot of followers of corn wear heavy armor, and so they go, <laughs> mm, not too sure about that. Uh, but they don't, they don't tend to voice these things around Stormcast, obviously. 
Um, <laughs> the Asperians and the Batari belong to cultures that were ancient well before the Age of Chaos and usually find the Azerites presumptive. They joke among themselves that the Azerites are the returned, uh, rather than uh, the Azerites joking that they are the reclaimed. The economy of Azir, which the settlers brought with them, is mostly based in carefully weighed gems and crystals. The Batari will use coins, but do prefer to barter. Um, the far traders of Batar are famously adept at working out complex four or even five part trades that benefit every party, and frequently find Azerite taught traders to be hopelessly crude. <laughs> These are all in contrast to uh, Axian's tribal members who trade primarily in Aqua Garanus measuring each drop with care so as not to spill any of the precious liquid. Fair. Fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be losing water here. <laughs> no, exactly. I love the culture difference as well. Mm. It's sort of just they're thrust yeah. upon each other and, mm. yeah, yeah, not really actually quite clicking. A real, uh, yeah, actually it's a real cultural mixing pot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the rest of the whole thing about the Great Parch now is we'll be talking about the various lands of the Great Parch, or, you know, obviously we've mentioned some of these areas. Uh, so now we're going to sort of deep dive into these a bit more. So let's kick it off with Iridian. So the land of Iridian is all about conflict and war in tribes. This is even before chaos turned up. <laughs> they were back, for, you know, fighting back then. Um, so back in the day, the Iridians were led by what was known as prophet monarchs and basically adopted a nomadic uh, nomadic uh, lifestyle with no permanent cities being built, uh, coupled with very aggressive type of nature. Um, they would use obsidian blades and spears, which they took from materials from uh, the Vostagi Mont, uh, which is on the southern border where basically Iridian meets uh, Capillaria. Um, Iridian is still in the hands of chaos. Uh, many of the tribes have been killed off or have fallen to chaos, even joining mm. the Gortide of Corgus Kulm, who... Uh, Note is actually from a tribe from Iridian. Um, so these tribes are basically have generally defected to what's known as the Scavenge Kings, who are basically a group of Chaos Warlords. Uh, this has basically meant that Sigmar has not been able to take Iridian from Chaos because basically due to the resistance that they face there. Uh, however, these tribes have not uh, that haven't fallen have basically allied with a Fire Slayer Lodge uh, living around the Vastagi Mont or Grimnir's Firehold. Uh, talking of Vostargi Mont, uh, it's basically an ancestral home of the Fire Slayers. It's a gigantic active volcano, basically, uh, that goes above the clouds. Um, they call it by many names, the Boundless Home, the House of Fury, the Father Spire. Uh, basically claiming that the fiery heart of Grimnir himself is is uh, residing there, uh, basically where he fought Volcatrix, as I said earlier, uh, with the Mont basically forming from this fight. Uh, the Mont has grown over over the ages with basically due to its countless eruptions you know obviously creating more land mass uh basically it's ended up with a labyrinth like tunnels underneath that basically it's so complicated that the rune masters don't really know everything that's there there's a lot of secrets that they haven't found yet uh, in addition it's home to many smaller lodges with the larger uh, vostag lodge being the main residents there uh, for those who travel here to seek uh, the uh, smith work of the lodges must first come before the fire well of grimnir and plead to the high temple rune fathers uh, their work is sold in brimstone which is basically a dwardin city built specifically for commerce with, uh, with the other races uh, or to use the nearby realm gates to travel as long as they provide that dollar dollar um 
The uh, the for- there's also a place called the Forge Anathema. Uh, it resides in the uh, adamantine chain. Uh, it's basically a furnace of darkness and nightmares. Uh, it's a, basically a smithy fortress made of iron and bone, uh, with living metal cannons, uh, demons guarding the passages to its gates as well. Uh, the this is basically chaos dwarves, uh, the Dwarden yeah. Forge Masters <laughs> who worship their deity known as the father of darkness uh reside there uh basically selling their evil wares to whoever wants to pay their huge prices basically so if you want some nice chaos dwarden <laughs> goods that's the place to go uh lastly in iridian you've got the reaver wastes which uh basically these are w- the western parts of iridian uh and given this name due to the original name being lost uh a war ground of uh sigma of sigma worshippers fighting corn worshippers or sometimes people just fighting that don't bow to sigma or corn in basically tribal warfare uh those who travel here uh, do so to look for basically like sorceress power in fallen parts of uh, Aramentia. That's where, let's say, the race, that's basically the city that got smashed by Corn with his big fist, um, as these lands were once part of the Algaraxi Empire. Uh, but those seeking have to be wary of the uh, war constructs that are still there because they're basically going mad because no one's controlling them i love that that just sounds like such a cool <laughs> warhammer quest area to go to um so uh, even the uh, even the gaze of archaeon uh, sees this place uh, with his war host known as the dorm uh, sorry the uh, the doom lords of aramantia uh, keeping watch who are basically keeping watch on thieves and anyone that would be prey there so that's iridian yeah excellent well let's hop on over to aspiria Home of the most powerful bride mages in all the mortal realms, Asperia's history <laughs> reaches far back into the age of that. Um, and the destiny of Asperia is twinned with its neighbor nation, Batar. Uh, the Asperians are a thoughtful folk and thought to be amongst the most well-spoken and calmest of people from Akshi. Uh, not that anyone from outside Akshi can really tell. They all seem angry and violent to everyone else. Um, <laughs> Uh, Asperia has never been really a united kingdom of any kind. They were a series of independent, magocratic citadel cities. Uh, the ruler, uh, each city would basically send a member to the ruling mage council to sit on the council pyre, which directed the efforts of the area as a whole. Of course, all of these citadel cities except for one has fallen, making that council now a war council, coordinating with Stormcast Eternals in the ongoing fight to stop their country from being eaten by Zinch. Um, because <laughs> it's just, it's on the map, I'm looking right now, it's just crumbling away into nothingness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, a cabal of bright wizards and their followers who had parted ways with the Aglaraxi Empire were supposedly the first people to found Asperia. The Archdomini typically subjugated anyone who disrespected and defied them. They only respected magical power. Maybe the experience just kind of got out at the right time. Um, once the Archdomini had sort of given up caring about people leaving the Empire. Uh, but for whatever the reason, uh, the Aglaraxi Empire let the experience go without a fight. The relations between the two remaining cordial. Enough that centuries later, the Archdomini chose to leave a series of citadels along the coast uh, in, Aspe- in Asperia's care. Uh, in typical Aglaraxi faction, though, they didn't really explain what those citadels did, um, supposedly leaving that as a challenge for the Asperian mages to figure out on their own. <laughs> Some of them, we still don't know what they do. They're there. This is, I mean, it's a fortress. You can put people in it, but it does something else, but we don't know <laughs> what, um, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> 
there are not a, not a lot of ways to get to Asperia from the east via land. Uh, there's a land bridge linking the central lands of the Great Parch to the west, known as the Beast Bridge, uh, which passes through Vitrolia. Long ago, a war of Oryx forced the Asperians to basically light the entire thing on fire. Uh, there's a kindling forest that covers this sort of natural land bridge, uh, and the orcs were going through it, so you set that thing on fire, and it turns out several centuries later it's still on fire, because the trees grow with the heat, as so <laughs> as they burn down, they are regrowing, and sort of just effectively cutting that, that land bridge off. Um, it's very, it's very, very good at protecting, uh, Asperian and Batar, but not really, not really good for getting to the rest of the Great Parch. So, um, however, the Asperians sort of view this as a real lapse in judgment, because being so cut off, they were especially vulnerable during the Age of Chaos, uh, and they sort of, they, they feel like they need to seek forgiveness as a culture for this, I guess. Uh, they regularly volunteer their services to burn away the taint of Chaos, and they are regularly seen supporting Stormcast Eternals and other Order armies. Uh, as the Batari ra- rise in trading prominence, uh, new magical artifacts of the Asperians' makings uh, that do many things, not just kill but also bring comfort and aid, flow forth from Asperia. Lumnos is the last of the great citadel cities of Asperia, its scintillant walls never falling to chaos. Uh, it's where the Council Pyre sits, it is the... Uh, Home to the academy known as the House of Rising Embers, where you can learn bright magic, become a bright mage. Um, they've always valued law and art of all kinds, and so this is one of the greatest universities and repositories of law in the mortal realms. They have books from the Age of Myth, and knowledge lost in all other realms. Uh, the leader of this academy is Pyros Thura. She is a small but incredibly powerful bright mage who is said to be the inventor of something called Cold Fire a magical alchemical substance that radiates cold instead of heat. Um, and by her orders, the house has expanded an old but honoured cu- part of the curriculum uh, where students have to hunt undead because that's kind <laughs> of a necessary thing to have right now. Um, <laughs> it's, <bad. laughs> it's like your, fi- your final exam is you have to go out and kill a bunch of ghosts with fireballs, which uh, yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. That's cool. Why not? Yeah. Better than coursework. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And, uh, apart from the floating city of Batar and the streets of Hammerhall, the markets of Lumnos are said to hold the most magical artifacts in all of Akshi. Uh, but usually you're not looking for actual wealth and items here. You're looking for lore and dangerous tasks to get such things. No one who values their life will cheat a bright mage. So you gotta, you gotta do whatever they ask, basically. Um, there's also the steel spike. So they've set, they've gotten rid of one way to get into Asperia by setting that entire land bridge on fire. The only other easy way into their lands was a short crossing between two peninsulas called the Bridge of Brine. They fortified the western end, adding more and more battlements over time, and soon basically the entire peninsula was a massive fortress known as the Steel Spike. Uh, it is incredibly well defended with sorcery to the point where that Korn's forces actually avoided directly assaulting it during the Age of Chaos. Like, it was left alone. Um, <laughs> and instead, they chose to bypass the peninsula via the ocean. So, like, this is a <laughs> fortress so dangerous that a Korn army looked at it and said, actually, we'll spend some time building boats instead of killing people. <laughs> that says it already, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, of course... 
that was that was the extent of its really defending Asperia there. Um, so as the other citadels fell, a lot of refugees fled to Steel Spike, bolstering and turning it from a fortress into a full-blown city. Uh, and interestingly enough, the soldiers of Steel Spike don't actually use black powder weapon like a lot of other free guild uh, soldiers would. They use magical ballistae and cannons that gout uh, that lob gouts of white hot liquid fire hundreds of yards distant. Um, their famed searing guard wield halberds made of blue fa- uh, blue flames, which is super cool. Uh, let's see. There's also the Bright Mountains, which are the biggest mountain range in the Western Parch. They're called that because they are pretty much entirely made of quartz. So in the light of the sun, uh, they just glow with these myriad of brilliant colors dancing along them. Uh, it's still an untamed place that is dangerous to travel, because there's all kinds of terrible animals, chaos cults and other things are there. Uh, this is actually where the Scions of the Flame started their cult from Warframe. Mm. Uh, in the fiery caverns beneath it, they uh, began doing their, their terrible flame and stuff. Uh, but also, there's an ogroid thaumaturge called the Storm That Walks, uh, just hanging out there, controlling several of the mountain passes. Uh, there's also a lodge of the Greyfeared Fireslayer Lodge uh, called Asherak there. The House of Ash is a fortress monastery of the legendary Flickering Fists uh, within the Bright Mountains is hidden in a valley there. Uh, several decades ago, the experience formally invited the dispossessed Warden to make new homes amidst the range of these mountains, and so now there's also a healthy population of just dwarves living there. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, uh... Heading back to Steel Spike for a second, I just saw this excerpt was about Steel Spike, not that. Um, so Steel Spike is actually cut off from the rest of Asperia by a region known as the Time Stolen Empire. Uh, so this is a little section of Asperia where Zinch cursed linear time out of existence. <laughs> uh, so if you attempt to travel to the Steel Spike, you might encounter a younger version of yourself and have to kill them, which deletes you from existence. Um... You can plant a crop and watch it wither and then turn into a seed, which you can then plant again. Uh, and you can actually go there to learn stuff because you could walk in there and remember something you wouldn't learn for another 50 years. Um, <laughs> all kinds of, all kinds of nonsense. Basically, it's impossible to live there. Uh, it, you might be able to make a quick jaunt through it, but, um, basically anyone who's been there for any length of time is a maddened cultist of Zinch. And yeah, he's not, he's not just stealing the land. He's stealing time, which is hilarious. Um, interesting enough, you can see all the way back to the age of myth in there and all the way forwards past the age of Sigma, which is interesting. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And of course, Zinch really never gave up on Asperia. Uh, it is sort of continually being, it was, I should say, continually crumbling and slipping into his realm, but no more. Uh, it's sort of a guerrilla style conflict between Zangors and, uh, Asperian soldiers at this point. Uh, and, you know, every now and again we have a big battle, uh, where flying ships sort of just appear out of the Zinch inside and just zoom down. Um, the council pirates suspect Zinch sinks something specific here, probably involving those Aglaraxian citadels along the coasts. It doesn't seem to be a coincidence that the disintegration of this coastline stopped just a mile short of the first citadel that the Aglaraxi placed down. Uh, and of course, the Asperian wizards themselves are very frustrated by all this because they still don't understand how those things work. Like some of them, <laughs> some of them, there's one called the Great Observatory that is pretty obvious what you're meant to do with it. You're meant to look at things from it. But, uh, a lot of them, a lot of the other ones just 
you got no clue. Some of them are broken. Some of them just haven't opened yet. Like the, there's vaults that are sealed that are meant to open when the time is right, and the time is apparently not right. So who knows? Um, <laughs> Bright Spear is the greatest of the currently usable citadels, which is a growing new city held by the Celestial Warbringers Storm hosts. Uh, Sigmar sent the Celestial Warbringers specifically because this storm host, uh, everyone in it can foresee their death. Yeah. And so, as Zinch twists and changes destiny, they feel their death changing and are able to sort of understand what's going on and launch counterattacks quickly to uh, get rid of these schemes, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, it's sort of set set a diviner to, fa- to fight a plotter kind of thing. <laughs> That's cool. That's good. Good tactics by Sigma. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, let's move on to Batar. We've mentioned a few times. So basically for the people of Batar, the Batari, uh, life is all about having as much fun as possible while enjoying it being the key to winning at life. Wouldn't expect to say that about someone in the in the uh, mortal realms but that's there we have it um so it's full of merchants warm hearts good nature they basically stand out compared to their neighbors um they have a friendly rivalry with them with the asprians uh saying that they came around to this way of thinking due to being bombarded with gifts parties and lots of wine uh one of the fortunes of batar is that of fire silk which is basically this magical webbing from what's known as flame spiders who are tamed or broken by the batari to obtain them uh fire silk is generally in in demand thanks to keeping you warm in winter and cool in summer and making you basically like wearing a coat a coat of living flames i mean that's nice um Fire Silk became the foundation of their huge trading empire in conjunction with acting as brokers of the Asperians, uh, or selling the smithing wares of the Fire Slayers from the Vostagi Mont. Um, this led to the creation of what's known as the Gilded Track, uh, basically a large trade road going from Batar to the Beast Bridge via the Gatelands. Uh, with this wealth, the Batari basically created the Iron Armada, which, with help from the Asperians, uh, made the famous floating market a reality uh come along or along came i should say the forces of chaos uh which led to the destruction of what batar had created uh basically nurgle forces destroyed the iron armada their ocean graves being known as armada's bane lovely uh with only the floating market barely surviving but uh helped defend itself with cannons and basically magical weapons uh the gilded track became what was known as the bloodied track as the gore tide enslaved those who couldn't flee basically making them walk uh, barefoot along the sharp rock edge whilst carrying their heavy golden belongings however some of the surviving batari realized that you know they'd been under they'd been underestimated by their enemies um and by carrying their gold which was obviously deemed worthless by the forces of chaos so what they did is they buried what they couldn't carry uh, ready for another day so when the floating market expanded and became the floating city the batari who hadn't been enslaved basically tried to help their brethren out however they could this basically led to uh, their grand plan uh, as well as using the the uh, the coming of sigmar as well so what they did is they traveled to the fire slayers at the mont and paid them uh, to free as many of their kind with the gold that they had hidden uh, and basically you know do what they could uh, which basically mm. led to after three years of fighting meant that the forces of chaos became so seriously dwindled that the batari captives were eventually freed 
Um, yeah. So come post Realmgate Wars, the Batari have become important traders once again. Batar is still as dangerous as it ever was. Uh, you got the Sculpt, mm. uh, which are basically Hedonists, uh, control the East. You've got the Gortide, which patrol the Gatelands, etc. So nowhere's really safe. Uh, now the bloody track is back in use and is basically seen as a symbol by the Batari of what they've gone through and how they've endured through this. Uh, their traders have gone further afield now, especially due to the demand of the fire silk, uh, including trading with the various eastern Azerite cities. Uh, they'll happily trade, but still remain quite cautious. They're, they're very thankful for Sigma and the Stormcast Eternals, but they ultimately they don't worship him, so they're a bit cagey about him, uh, which also leads them to looking for basically trading favours and trading goods rather than just basic currency. So when the Batari finally met the Caradron overlords, they felt like they'd met their kindred spirits mm-hmm. across the realms uh, and basically they're what turned out to be their biggest trading rivals as well. In turn, the Caradron overlords were a bit unsure of the Batari, didn't really know what to make of them, uh, but have learned one thing that what, when the Batari say their motto of Batar prospers with a smile, they definitely mean it. Um so let's switch up to the uh, Flame Spider Woad. This basically covers most of central Batar with basically thousands of miles of trees. Uh, they see very little in the way of uh, wildfires in the north, as this part of Batar has basically more rainfall than the whole Great Parch combined, so very wet up there. Uh, the spiders that, that give it its name hide there in great numbers, but the Batari fire silkers try to mix the more wild spiders with the tamed ones they already have to basically keep the quality of the fire silk higher. Uh, those who guard the area are really struggling, basically due to the forces of Nurgle infecting the land, and this has caused some of the local spy- some of the lo- local spiders <laughs> to become diseased and wander in and attack local settlements. Yes, we want Nurgle flame spiders. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you've also got the floating city, which you mentioned. It. Uh, basically, at one point, this was a group of sailing ships that were lashed together to be basically a floating moving water-based market uh, that used to travel Mm. down the ocean of swords uh it got bigger over the years before eventually being lifted into the sky uh it is really the heart of batar and everything that can be bought there as long as you pay the right Mm. price it generally resides in southern batar but sometimes can be moved because like i said it is floating so if required along with a huge group of airships with their so their cannons and magical weapons to help guard it uh, once upon a time, the Merchant Kings ruled Batar, controlling trade and land. Uh, basically, as the people diminished, the ruling of the land became centralised in the floating city uh, via the Batar Traders Guild. So control of influence and power at the wide table is decided via a game of razored gifts. So basically, this is where who you can give gifts to the others are the most over the oh, top gifts really so mm. if you can you know basically go look at this amazing gift i've given you it basically gives you better power at the table so these lords are always looking for help because obviously they're trying to find the next best gift to help you know keep their power at this table uh, which has led to an unusual amount of silverneth in the city hmm um and lastly in Batar, you've got the lake of dark packs a lovely sounding place that you can take the whole family for a holiday <laughs> uh one of the largest freshwater lakes in the great parch beautiful but the holder of painful memories for the batari uh once pleasure barges used to travel along here but were utterly destroyed during the age of chaos with the chaos forces camping around it too despoiling it further and causing the local camps to stay away uh the name of the lake supposedly comes from an ancient love story of tragedy 
where the lovers mm. killed themselves when they weren't allowed to be together. Where have we heard that before oh, in real life? Mm. Um, the lake <laughs> now remains a place for ethereal spirits uh, ever since the necroquake. So you've got basically flotillas of spirits traveling along in their ghost-like <laughs> pleasure barges, looking to press gang mm. anyone nearby to join their revels. And to add to this, on some nights, the surface of the lake reflects constellations not from Akshi, suggesting that maybe it is a realm gate to Shaish if you knew how to open it. So we've got ghost mm. pirates as well. Ugh. Oh, that's so good. So good. <laughs> that's bizarre. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, over to Capillaria. So... This uh, this used to be a very great region of Akshi. Uh, quite quite at this point, it's uh, really not. It's uh, what we would call war battered, because this is <laughs> an area of the Great Parch where the fighting never really ended. There's still cornate warbands roaming the hinterlands, slaying everything they come across. Even as Cogfort patrols uh, from Hammerhall Aksha carve out sections of the wilderness and attempt to tame them. Uh, it used to be known for its beautiful farmlands, and now they are all choked with gore and broken swords because of course uh in the yeah in the age of myth uh the capillarian smith lords were famous for their metalworking skills uh and a lot of them learned from dwarden and actually grew accomplished enough that their teachers were really happy with them which is a lot to get from a dwarf when you're trying to forge something um <laughs> the diabrands were the most famous smiths of Capillaria at the time. They were allied with the Fire Slayers, Fire Slayers of Astagi Mont. And uh, now that tribe is gone, but the weapons they forged are still sort of the best of the best as far as uh, a weapon will go in Akshi. Of course, you can't talk about Capillaria without talking about Hammerhall Akshar, one half of the twin-tailed city. Uh, specifically, of course, this is the, side, uh, the half on the Akshi side of the Realm Gate, the other half being uh, built on Garan on the other side of that realm gate, and represents a symbiosis and bond between the folk of Sigmar and Alariel. Uh, in actually, uh, it is the center of Sigmar's efforts to retake, um, retake lower realms. The lower realms? Oh, right. Every realm that isn't Azir. Typical of the right <laughs> nonsense, honestly. Um, <laughs> Uh, this, this area was seized by 30 chambers of Stormcast simultaneously sort of coming to grips with the Auric tribes that had worshipped the Realm Gate here. And after years of conflict, they managed to take it. Uh, and the city was named Hammerhall after the Hammers of Sigmar who led the assault. Uh, the mountains here are also rich with Realmstone, which was channeled into the city's construction and repair. And the energy of it now uh, maintains a protective lightning shield that covers the entire city which i think is really cool they've got they've mm. got a dome yeah <laughs> it's pretty good handy uh um it is the beating heart of the realm of fire its influence is uncontrolled even touching even the farthest corners of akshi traveler could wander hammerhall aksha for months and still not see everything because the city itself is actually constantly growing um, a lot of airborne transports flow into the city's docks every day, bringing goods and travelers from all across the mortal realms. There are a lot of different kinds of flying vessels, including massive airborne beetles that are driven by Sylvaneth, which is <laughs> incredible. Uh, and yep. they bring all kinds of goods for trade. And th this is still my favorite piece of art, incidentally, is mm. the, from the Hammerhall Axia side, staring through the realm gate into this beautiful green Hammerhall, Hammerhall Gyra. And contrasting that with um, Akshi in the background, just looking like Mordor. 
<laughs> yeah, it does actually. Yeah, good point. It really I'm does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting idea for a city. It feels like totally unique. I love definitely, it. Definitely, um, definitely. Obviously, this is an important and prosperous place, which has made it many enemies. Chaos has been attacking it ever since it was founded, and currently is under attack by a group of uh, marauders called the Crimson Horde. Of course, uh, Zinch and Slash cults and other cults also flourish within the depths of Hammerhall Aksha. And the undead are here as well. Uh, something called the Pale Prince leads his followers in blood rites uh, in the bottom areas of Hammerhall Aksha, mocking everything the city stands for and flooding the streets with ghosts and ghouls and all kinds of creepy crawlies. <laughs> um, Sigmar cities are led by a grand conclave that mirrors the original uh, pantheon kind of thing that Sigmar assembled to rule Azaheim. Uh, the Grand Conclave meets in Hammerhall Aksha and is a council of 244 individuals representing humans, elves, and dwarven from every faction and every city of order. So, uh, in all the realms as well, like, everyone's got a say over here. Um, mm. This conclave governs the city, but is also responsible for directing the forces of order throughout Akshi in general. They, they make all the tactical decisions up there. Mm. Uh, all these powerful ind- individuals are from all over the mortal realms they are usually not uh not united on any one opinion they very frequently fractious and looking for their uh their own interests to be advanced while their rivals get humiliated <laughs> um and uh this this city is so vast and the interrelations between the two houses are so complex that there is within this council a specific group of lords that direct the actual affairs of the city uh this council of 12 um were directly chosen by azir and are capable of making decisions a lot more rapidly than the Grand Conclave. There's also Skullpile, uh, which is <laughs> a lovely landmark. Um, it is technically a city. It's also just kind of one massive altar to Corn. Uh, this is where <laughs> the tribes of Corn gather. Uh, it is literally a building made out of... It is a city where all the buildings are made out of skulls. Like, the building yep. material is skulls, which is yeah. incredible. <laughs> And at the center of the city is the thing that it got its name from, a massive pyramid mound of skulls collected over centuries. Like, there are skulls from all over the realms. The biggest skulls are from Gur. They are the beast skulls, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. warriors wishing to pay or fealty to corn will travel massive distances to come put one of their skulls here. <laughs> uh, and, of course, it's not a very organized city because there's no prohibition on murder. In fact... They want you to murder when you're there. So, <laughs> uh, no sane person would ever call Skullpile safe is the probably the most accurate sentence in this entire entire book. Ah <laughs> uh, man, uh, there's also the Eye. So south of Capillaria is the acidic ocean known as the Vitriol Sea, and this is actually the the uh, the point of the greatest threat to everyone living in the Great Parch, because it's here in the Clavis Isles. Remember that. Uh, oh. where there is the portal to the air realm of chaos. It is, it is a portal directly, specifically, into a corn's realm. And so it is this ocean with an island in the middle, and on that island are just demons constantly flooding out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of chaos worshippers go and visit, because why wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, weekend break. 
Yeah, lovely place to go. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there's also Everline Point. Uh, the southernmost tip of these islands is Everline Point, which is a fortress city of corn. Uh, it gets its very placid name from the Age of Myth, when it was an alchemical industrious city where they produced quicklime uh, for all kinds of building and corpse disposal projects. And now is this terrible murder fortress... Uh, where you usually don't live long enough to suffer the horrific acid burns from all the lime that everything is built on. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, uh, there's also Vandium, named after Vandus Hammerhand to celebrate his many triumphs. Uh, it is a fortress city west of Hammerhall, Aksha, at the edge of the coast of Bones. Uh, at the center of Vandium is Goldforge, an enormous stormkeep containing a realm gate leading straight to Azir. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this realm gate in particular is known as the Road of Thunder due to its connection to a part of Azir where there is an eternal storm that they just can't get to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess everyone comes in very wet. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> yeah. no one in Vandium ever gets any sleep, I'm pretty sure, because the realm gate is open. And so you can hear the storm through the entire city at all oh, times. No. Just thunder nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Vandium is sort of the staging ground for Hammerhall Aksha and the armies that arrived there. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty unassailable. It nearly got there. It was nearly broken during the Necroquake as two successive Nighthawk armies attacked it. Uh, they would have absolutely destroyed it if they had attacked at the same time. But, you know, mm. ghosts, they're not, they're not always the most organized, eh? <laughs> yeah, quite selfish. Yeah. <laughs> cool, right. right. Now let's uh, move on to Kotha and the eastern part. So I'll quickly talk about Kotha. So basically, mm-hmm. this is a tundra of ice where the locals say Kotha burns cold. So it was once home to many fishing tribes that used to hunt the wildlife with their great harpoons. However, many fell to chaos with the survivors becoming the Volfraf and now worship corn under the name the Ice Reaver and use harpoons of frozen blood. That is such oh, a great army shit. idea. If you want to do do oh, ice man. corn uh, with harpoons oh, of frozen blood, do it, people. Someone yeah. do, do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of Kotha is a Nurgle-taken realm gate called the Ice Moor, where the plague forces have basically used it to invade from Gyran. Uh, Rumour has it the Everqueen and Sigmar want to take it back. So that's Kotha. Right, so the eastern part. Uh, basically, this is the land beyond the great mountains and volcanoes of the uh, Adamantine chain, and it's called the eastern part, as no name has been agreed upon. So it's in a, basically an area of chaos followers and dangerous beasts await here. So those Azerite travellers who try to settle here are basically living life on the edge. Uh, you have uh, Chakrik's Folly. Uh, basically, it's a Skaven undercity that is the heart mm. of their plans in the Great Parch, and in reality, it shouldn't be there. Uh, basically, it was yeah. founded in a collection of unstable caverns southeast of the Adamantine chain uh, and filled to the brim with out-of-control warpstone. So a particularly mad-slash-confident warlock engineer suggested that he could power his engines um, with the warpstone oh, and keep the city safe. Oh, no. Which, which they did until one blew up and killed him. Um, mm, so his rival... Surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. His rivals tried to get the glory, but the city was actually named after, after him in a very unscathen sort of thing to do. Uh, the engines still rumble on, but the city is still disturbed by earthquakes, big and small. Uh, each of the, the bigger ones and some of the smaller clans 
have a place in the city, all you know, plotting for advantage as Skaven do. As of late, help requests have been coming from the adamantine chain to deal with the beard things disrupting their plans. Oh, those beard things. Um, We've got Hell Crown, which is uh, another place for corn to people to reside. So, worshipping <laughs> corn, you use the remains of an ancient volcano to build a fortress city here, going on raids in the eastern parch, uh, hunting for skulls and meat for their bellies. So, the Stormcast have tried multiple times to take it, only to basically fail each time. They've struggled basically due to defences such as lava trenches and gargoyles that may- melt sigmarite by spitting arcane blood. Uh, and a realm gate called the Broken Jewel is at the heart of it, which is basically above uh, an open lava vent, which provides reinforcements or kills travellers in the lava who thought they were heading to the realm of chaos. <laughs> they just oh, ended no. up falling into the oh, lava. Great. Right. Um, <laughs> you've got, you've got the reclaimed uh, Dementness, uh, an area of thousands of miles reclaimed by the Stormcast. Uh, it basically lies beyond the adamantide chain, far away from cities and trade routes and. Basically, it's a foothold for order. Uh, hundreds of settlements are dotted around here, you know, fighting to survive, along with trade coming from Anvil Guard ships or a few secret realm gates. Uh, the settlements have little in the form of defences, whether it be against beasts, chaos, undead, and basically have to travel, uh, sorry, have to deal with the uh, candestant raiders from the north, uh, which are basically Chaos Marauders and the Blades of the Blood Queen from the south. Uh, luckily, the folk are tough, uh, you know, becoming basically farmer warriors. Uh, and providing a challenge for their attackers. Um, as you'd imagine, most are natives to Akshi, just trying to live out without judgment from those in his ear. Leave me be. <laughs> uh, and lastly, we've got the Stain, lovely name place. Um, basically, it's the northeast of the Adamantide chain. Is a disgusting sulfurous tectonic lake called the Stain, uh, basically being one of the largest areas of liquid in the whole of the Great Parch. Uh, its original name is unknown, but its current form was given due to a great battle after the Stormcast arrived. Uh, basically, a group of vanguard hunters from the Celestial Vindicators came across a large force of corn, uh, called in some help to help ambush them. Uh, 30 warrior chambers from a collection of storm hosts arrived, uh, and the battle ended mm. up with a few Stormcast survivors but the dead of the bloodbound, a legion of bloodletters, and the death of four bloodthirsters. The death wow. had uh, the death of so many demons warped the, the lake with their blood, causing it to turn crimson, and hence the name. Mm. There That's we go. Mm. Yeah. All right, moving on to the Flame Scar Plateau. Uh, the colossal highlands of the Flame Scar Plateau have always been a land for nomadic tribes and sprawling kingdoms, uh, which are currently all buried under a thick layer of shifting ash. If you imagine the Ringed City DLC from Dark Souls 3, there's <laughs> yes. literally just bits of ancient empires jutting up from an ocean of ash. It's incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Um, this, yeah, this area was once the center of the Aglaraxi Empire. And, uh, you know, we all know how well that went after everything <laughs> else in this previous, in, in this, uh, previous sections. Uh, and there are still remnants of the empire dotted around here. Uh, there are up in the rocky heights of the Sorrow Peaks and the remnants of crystalline towers that once made up the Prismaticon, uh, all sort of scattered around. The tribes here are infamously fierce, quick to take offense and slow to give quarter, even for people from Akshi. Uh, a lot <laughs> of people here actually survived the onslaught of chaos because they were already used 
to hardship, and in the words of Kirioff, uh, this place breeds hard bastards. I think that's <laughs> um, <laughs> they bled the forces of chaos at every turn, refused to give them any straightforward battles, and would instead attack, fade back into the ash deserts, enrage them until they made mistakes, and then crush them. And so this area actually did decently well during the Age of Chaos, <laughs> which is great. I love that. I love that there was there is at least one place where things weren't great, but they weren't completely apocalyptic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of the plateau was taken back from chaos during the Blazing Crusade, which was one of the initial expeditions after the Stormcast Eternals were deployed. Uh, and uh, all these valuable assets up here were seized. The defiant nature of the tribes here has never ended. A lot of them look upon the Azerites as just another set of invaders to be fought. <laughs> along with corn and the undead and the orcs and everything else. Um, the area is nominally under the control of Sigmar, but no, no Azerites travel lightly here. The Gortide is also still present, uh, and Blood Reapers are said to be able to smell prey a hundred miles away. So Like a shark. Example, like a shark, <laughs> but in air, which is even more impressive. Um, yeah. Now, Adasa is an ancient red brick and golden roof-topped... Uh, city essentially it was considered to be one of the grandest cities in the great parch during the age of myth and the adassins are still pretty uppity about that uh <laughs> it's uh it's it is positioned on something known as the great ash road which is this massive furrow in the uh flame scar plateau supposedly carved when grimnia hurled volcatrix from the mountains so just this massive impact crater effectively nice um since uh, since the return of Sigmar, uh, trade has grown and Adassa has become rich once more. Goods flow along the Great Ash Road from Hammerhall, Axra, and Vandium, making the reconstruction of the Flamescar Plateau and other settlements here possible. Uh, of course, this stands in stark contrast to the Age of Chaos, when corn armies just kind of marched up and down it because it was way easier than walking through the deserts. Hmm. Um, Adassa doesn't have a realm gate, but is a very cosmopolitan and prosperous city, widely known for widely known for its ancient university, pure deep wells, overflowing bazaars, and the gladiatorial games fought in its famed Colosseum, the Red Sands. Uh, the city symbol is the Flame Scar Lion. Uh, it is considered a divine beast, and this belief is sort of being blended with uh, the b new beliefs in Sigmar and the other gods. And uh, Sigmar is now depicted in the city as having a lion's head, aggressive, territorial, and thoroughly action, which is, I think is super cool, religious yep. differences. Uh, and the elite soldiers in Adassa are the lionesses, who have to f slay a flamescar lion before being permitted to fight in battle, uh, so they have an entire cadre of great sword wielding warrior women wearing the pelts of these burning lions, which is awesome. <laughs> that sounds amazing. That is that is their elite infantry. Is that, and I think that's great. That's so. That's uh, that's another cool idea. <laughs> like a uh, free guild great swords of them. I would love to see. Um, the city has been ruled by the same family for generations. Its kings and queens tracing their lineage back to a man named Hammer Hammerfriend. <laughs> which is a great name. Uh, he's a general who liberated the area from the legions of Corn. Uh, the current ruler, Queen Corrine, is old, and her solitary heir, Prince Jordain, disappeared many years ago. The uncertainty about the upcoming succession, she's not going to last forever, has given a lot of Zinchin cults opportunities to exploit, and uh, Dasta's future is really uh, up, up in the air. We don't know how it's going to go. Mm. 
On the northern end of the plateau are the Brutos Hills, a jungle-covered series of volcanoes that border with the Charwind Coast. This area is called the Crucible of Life. It's covered in plants, dangerous beasts, and big lizards, along with the remains of, liz- of kingdoms toppled by all those things. Uh, this is where Anvil Guard is. It's a port city on the edge of the Searing Sea, and it is forever wreathed in shadows filled with a defoliant mist created by Ironweld Ar- Alchemist to hold the plants back, otherwise the city would be choked to death within days. So they've constantly got the, uh, the herbicide just misting on every street corner. <laughs> Um, this city was founded by the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, and its darkened alleys fit the mood of the people there, the Anvil Guardians taking after the Anvils of the Heldenhammer Stormhost in their, uh, sort of, um, manner, demeanor, whatever. Uh, the people here are hardy and stern, and frequently, uh, hold a lot of strange old superstitions. They know some very fascinating ancient folklore. Uh, but Anvilgard is also a bustling port city, uh, filled with merchants seeking unusual goods. All trade in Anvilgard is regulated by Elven Corsairs in, exclaim- in exchange for exclusive beast trapping rights, privateer permissions, and privileges. Anvilgard's Grand Conclave is rumored not to be the real, r- real ruler of the city. Instead, a group known as the Blackscale Coil, a collection of scourge fleet masters, darkling covens, and order serpentus beast masters, actually direct affairs in the city using intimidation, blackmail, and assassinations. So Anvil Guard is under control of the Elven mob. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the Necroquake was especially tough in Anvil Guard because the skeletons of countless primeval reptiles, I'm assuming Godzilla's, uh, <laughs> rose up from the crucible of life and attacked the city en masse. Um, the city would have been entirely overrun if not for the fortuitous arrival of some Seraphon emerging from the jungle. Right after the battle, a skink star priest named Zebulka declared that the Seraphone felt very much at home here and would be staying. He promptly <laughs> withdrew to this big green pyramid that no one remembered being there on the edge of the city. And, uh, but you know, we don't remember what used to be there, so it must have always been there, I guess. Um, yeah. And this, yeah. And the Seraphone will receive petitioners at the Jade Temple, but a lot of people don't want to deal with all that so they just kind of leave them alone and go cool they're here i guess um <laughs> and all these undead reptile skeletons are just kind of one more thing they have to deal with now they do their best to make sure any meat they sell at market is dead before it's purchased <laughs> <laughs> uh and finally for the flame scar plateau anvalor the city of anvalor is rumored to be cursed Potentially, it could be one of the great crossroads in the Flamescar Plateau. It seems to continually be on the razor's edge. Multiple attempts to secure it have failed, each attempt being thwarted by orcs, skavens, followers of the Dark Powers, and a variety of natural disasters. Everyone from Order keeps trying, though, because it sits basically in the exact center of the Great Parch, and even though it doesn't have a realm gate, it stands on top of pure deep water mineral wells. So, very, very valuable location. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the streets of Hammerhall Akshar, the current rumor is that one last great attempt will soon be made, with multiple storm hosts and Dwarden clans involved, as the in, and even the elves of the Order Serpentis uh, are getting in on the because they want to get some snakes from yeah. there. Damn right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> God, cool. Right, let's move over to Golvaria. Uh, so basically, this is a glorious looking land with. Fruit-bearing trees, mountain ranges, uh, the Sky Helm peaks to the west, the jungles to the east, uh, volcanic 
crimson twins to the north. Uh, all sorts of go here, but uh, it's got a bit of a dark history and there's no real natives there anymore. Uh, basically, the necromancers of Galvaria ruled here back in the Age of Myth with their undead magic and, and were a force to be reckoned with uh, until they started a fight with the arrogant bright mages of Speria. Uh, so basically, they used their skeletons and other undead creatures to attack trade caravans and the like. Uh, so... In counterattack, the Asperians uh, basically formed the undead hunting uh, undead hunting schools, uh, which came <laughs> into being uh, to deal with this new foe. So the forces of Asperia drove back the necromancers who fled to the Syrian Sea in the northeast to eventually settle in what's known as the Kingdom of of Malachi, uh, which is now known as the Isle of Ghouls. Well, you can form what you want from that. Um, with the yeah. coming of chaos and then the Necroquake, the Galvarians uh, are going to war once again and are looking basically to take back their land. Um, mm. Right. Um, another prominent place in Galvaria is Hallowheart. Uh, it was once known as the Shimmer in Abyss. It was basically a Zinchian uh, stronghold claimed by the forces of order, uh, inclu- you know, including uh, the hallowed knights there uh the city itself is within a basically a huge craterous pit top atop a massive basalt column with the walls and foundations full of gems mineral deposits and realm stone uh the dwarden here have basically dug out their own communities doing this all at all hours of day and night because they love digging uh <laughs> due to the magical power that resonates within the city those born here seem to have incredible luck and odd quirks that can't always be explained. Uh, Hallahart is ruled by a grand uh, conclave of lords, leaders, miners, and includes some Stormcast Eternals as well uh, from the Hallowed Knights. Uh, but everyone knows that the White Fire Court is the true power here. Uh, basically, <laughs> the main export of the city, as you'd imagine, is the gems, the minerals. Uh, but traders are not keen on coming here due to the paranoia of the locals who are basically trying to keep the city pure following centuries of being a chaos stronghold uh, an unexplained birthmark you know a suspicious relic can all lead to being pursued by the order of Zia and likely a death sentence it seems harsh but you know some say Halahart has a right to be this way uh, and we've also lastly got in uh, Galvaria the castle Drakesbane Great name. Uh, the home of Demon Prince Lord Selfer Xanarax in the Skyhelm Peaks. It's basically built into the skull of a winged serpent so massive its spine covers several mountains. That is a badass home. Uh, the fortress is basically a combination of bone and enchanted steel with basically hundreds of mouths shrieking as they channel the winds of the mountain. Um, the Demon Prince himself is known as the Fist of the Everchosen and being one of his favoured followers, especially when an example needs to be made. Uh, Lord Xanarax Zanar- uh, is used as a tool to destroy rather than conquer, basically using the full authority of Archaon to leave the land so badly corrupted it is beyond use. Uh, he does have many legions to do this with, uh, including a lot of shapeshifters and sorcerers. Uh, he looks at torture as an art form, so he's a bit Jakari-like there, uh, and expects the same of his legions mm-hmm. to the point that failure on their part means a harsher ending than those of the enemies. His main purpose is to stamp out any hope in the Great Parch, and so and has so far taken large parts of Galvaria, and is trying to crack the magical nut that is Halahart. So that's Galvaria. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's move on to Cole's Ravage. Uh, all the records of who and what once lived here is now lost, along with everything that lived here. Um, <laughs> the region was utterly destroyed in some shoon by Corgus Cool and his Gore Tide. Um, 
basically every fi- all the fighting except for like little inter warband fights for chaos- between chaos forces had ceased here because there was no one left to kill <laughs> uh, which is pretty impressive um yeah, so thorough were the culls of Axians here that Korn's followers had turned onto the forces of other Chaos Gods and Skaven in particular to slake their bloodlust. So <laughs> um, they, they, did, they did a real thorough job here. Um, however, a cent- after a century of fighting, the Stormcast Eternals have a relatively firm, firm hoothold, foothold in Cull's Ravage. Uh, people still don't like to travel because the Gortide is still around, but they can't really just run around with impunity anymore. Uh, there's no real farming here because the land is just completely infertile and ruined, but hopefully, with time, that can be changed. The Stormcast occupy a number of fortresses along the coast, including the Great Fort Ignis, and a long series of fortifications reclaimed from Chaos, reclaimed from Chaos, known as the Brimstone Keeps. My voice. My mouth. <laughs> what's it doing? Chaos overcomes me! Uh, of course... We can't talk about Cull's Ravage without talking about Tempest's Eye. Mm. Tempest's Eye rises from the summit of the Titan Spear Mountains at the northern edge of the Flamespire Range. It's a multi-tiered order city founded by the Tempest Lord uh, Stormhost of the Stormcast Eternals. From the highest point in the city, the Castle Regal rises, Stormkeep of the Tempest Lords, and an observatory <laughs> like no other. Arcane devices from Azir and Akshi, who who can see into every uh, mortal realm, fill the towers of Castle Regal, and from up here the Tempest Lords can readily see through illusions, deceptions, and sometimes even time itself. The forces from this city, infamous for their prescient arrivals, appearing on battlefields just as they are needed, or forestalling large conflicts before they occur. So, little, little timey-wimey stuff going on here as well. Uh, the city bustles with trade and commerce and is widely famed for its optic equipment, arcane lenses, and other such devices. A great deal of its trade flows from a realm gate to Azir at the heart of Castle Regal, but the selling of accurate information brings the most profit to the city. Uh, it's filled with docking ports for Dwarden airships, both the Ironweld Arsenal Skyrocopters and the vessels of Caratron Overlords, who enjoy a profitable and strong relationship with the city. Uh, Tempest Eye doesn't limit its vision to merely the arcane. Four smaller peaks rise about the Titan Spear, the Talons, each of which hold armoured watchtowers and swifthawk rookeries. Uh, The famed Aetherguard, a force of elven and human rangers said to be the finest scouts in the Great Parch, are housed here. Zeech is suspected to cover the secrets of Tempest Eye, and the agents of the city are ever on the lookout for cults. Uh, Members of the Tempest Lords regularly consult with Celestial Warbringers regarding Brightspear's ongoing war with the Great Conspirator. Quite some time, the White Tower has been aware of places above the Ocean of Swords where they cannot actually see. Of late, though, other places have become apparent much nearer to hand, and even their strongest arcane engines cannot penetrate whatever is blocking their vision. Blind spots slowly drawing closer. Something's going on. The best thing about this being for an RPG book is every description has some kind of hook written into it. So that's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Obsidian Fortress is a fortress carved from volcanic glass on the east cliffs of the Bridge of Brine. For many centuries, it was held by chaos and was an abattoir of horror. The cornate warlord known as the Thirsting Prince ruling from here from a throne of sinew and charred bone. Uh, during the Blazing Crusade, some Stormcast Rangers from Tempest Eyes infiltrated it and slew him, and now they hold it, using it as a staging ground with uh, to join up with experience from Steel Spike to fight off everything coming out of the Time Stolen Empire, because <laughs> that place is messed up. 
the horn of Ignax rises from a stony outcropping between the Crescent Sea and this coast of bone. It's an eternally burning, piercing, bright something. No one's really sure because <laughs> you, you, you can't look directly at it and you can't get to it physically. The fire, fire slayers think it's literally the broken off tip of one of the horns of the Solar Drake Ignax from back during the Age of Chaos. Um, others think it's a burning gas vent of some kind. It's not magma because it's not building stone around it as it flows out. Whatever it is, Corsairs use it as a fixed navigation point because on all but the nights of densest fog, it's visible for over hundreds of miles. Um, <laughs> it is so piercing that on the clearest nights, even the Fuethan Ideneth can see it from the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing i honestly i think mm. everything in this is just like there's always like you said these little hooks and little mm. ideas in it it's fantastic yeah right okay i'm gonna wrap us up with vanks and vitrolia so let's start with vanks uh basically this is a place which uh, gained a reputation for cunning and merciless raiders during the age of myth with it suggested that the tribes there worship corn shock horror via a name mm. a being named uh Nulkrakar, or the Master of Tides, which is basically corn in disguise. Uh, mm. So again, it's like you know, similar to the Ice Reavers of of corn. Like I said, corn has got some really cool, non sort of traditional looks in this. So it's really good. Uh, even before chaos came, uh, there is no doubt of chaos worshiping, as the Red Feast was partly planned by a warlord from here, bringing the Age of Chaos to Akshi. Uh, naturally, Asperians see what the Vaxians did as unforgivable for their killing and taking of their lands, in turn burning any Vaxians uh, after uh, Sigmar's Tempest. Overall, Vanx is under control of chaos, with surviving travellers telling stories of pale-skinned marauders, runes painted in blood, and little clothing. Uh, their warships inhabit the... Uh, ocean of swords uh pale colored due to the white wood used from the bleached forest along uh with uh crimson sigils killing uh killing those in favor of their mm. god uh using the skin of corpses for new sails so hey you, oh. you know you run out of sails get some corpses in uh mm. and then moving over to vitrolia uh vitrolians are basically well known for having the the brightest red hair of anyone in akshi uh even brighter than the uh some of the fire slayers uh basically generally it's a bunch of mercenaries uh the vitrolian tribes are extremely well known for continually changing size during battles in the age of myth and even in the middle of a battle they would change sides if it mm. if it <laughs> meant they needed to uh this caused many of them to flee to the western parts of the uh, skyhelm peaks or the island of the wretch sea uh, to escape the wrath of chaos uh, who didn't take kindly to the uh, the constant betrayals as you'd imagine uh, the tribes that remain from the age of chaos wish to take their lands back but are not too sure how to do so for generally two reasons uh, one Vitolia mm. is inhabited with blood reaver tribes from the ashen horde uh, and two uh, they have barely any allies left due to their past of betrayal they've <laughs> just basically pissed off too many people and so can't yeah. call in their favors anymore um, we've got another area called uh, hags delta uh, basically it's a marshland with uh, serpents whose venom can boil blood uh, which lies south of the Skyhelm Peaks uh, for all to enjoy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> within the Delta lies a concealed temple of Cain uh, since the Age of Myth. Uh, and within that is a realm gate to Ulgu, uh, with the 
locals of Vitrolia naming the area after the witch elves that reside here. Uh, basically, when Chaos came to conquer Vitrolia and uh, Golvaria, uh, the witch elves happily took up arms, you know, because they're witch elves, they love a good fight, uh, and yeah. warred with Chaos for years until they were recalled back to Ulgu by Marathi for a more important fight. Uh, the witch elves here were part of a uh, Calebron uh, sect devoted to stealth and misdirection and were led by Hag Queen uh, Vizcaya, who uh, fought mm. basically sort of guerrilla-style warfare against the demon prince that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the locals of Hollow Heart claim being saved from chaos by witch elves that appear from nowhere and disappear just mm. as fast. That's it. Magic witch elves with their magic <laughs> stealth. Um, and lastly, there's the kindling forest. So basically yes. thousands of miles of forest that continually burn in the southern part of Vitrolia, thanks to spirits of living flame that were summoned by, uh, <laughs> but not dispelled by Asperian bright mages because they couldn't be bothered. <laughs> so they just left them there. Uh, the spirits burn these trees, but luckily for the forest uh, is made of pyrewood, which basically is a fast growing tree that, will take the place of its predecessor that was burnt to ashes just weeks before. Uh, as you would imagine, it's a naturally difficult place to venture through unless you have certain things, like you've got your own fire magic, or you're a fire slayer, or you happen to have an Asperian magical token, which allows safe passage. Even if you are able to travel through, though, you can expect to meet such delights as Chaos Warbands, Sylvaneth, but worst of all, the Gloom Spike Gits, here that are led by Grand Smotherdozer Claggett, who, wished, who wishes to wipe out all the fire in Akshi, using possible realm gates to appear in strange places, attacking those who wish to use their hated foe. So basically you've got some, yeah. some Gloom Spike Gits that hate fire so much, they're like, right, we're taking it all out. Of the whole realm. That's very no one uses it. <laughs> Which is really cool. That's that has been the great part. We finally got there. So uh yeah, like I said, I, I just hope, like I said right at the start, I hope mm. that anyone's listening that that if you're into AOS and you just want a bit of I don't know, a bit of creativity with your armies or whatever, this is a perfect mm. sort of pot of ideas, I think. Even if you don't use them it's directly. So there's some really cool yeah, cool, you know, some inspiration in here as well. So yeah, so that's been that. Um, right, okay, we're going to take our last break and have a quick discussion topic at the end where mm. we're going to be trendy and talk Ooh. 40k starter sets. Back soon. Ooh. Right, discussion topic time. And as mm. we said, we're going to talk about 40k starter sets. As we know, Indomitus is on the horizon, uh, even though it's a launch set, not a starter set, yeah. but you know, words. Um, words. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we thought we'd start throw, you know, because we said we'll, we'll keep this brief because obviously our main section went on for quite a while. So what we'll do is we're just going to basically throw out some ideas of, okay, say Indobitus wasn't, it didn't exist and we were, you know, doing a, mm. a starter set for a, a new, uh, you know, new version of 40K. So we just sort of think, right, what, yes. you know, like basically what combinations we'd like to see, like, of our, you know, armies and who against who and, mm. and such like. So, uh, so yeah, Cameron. Throw some ideas. All right. I'm going to lead us off with the thing I want the most. I want a Tyranid versus Imperial Guard box. I <laughs> want Starship Troopers the box. <laughs> yes. I want, I want redone Gaunts. I want redone Terrified Guardsmen and Women. Uh, my idea basically is 
like a couple small squads of guardsmen with a commander and some tanks versus as many gaunts as we can fit in that box and a hive tyrant. <laughs> yeah. And I think that would be interesting. Maybe not balanced, but starter boxes never are. So whatever. I think it'd be really cool and really show off like for Astro Militarum, your real power is the tanks. For Tyranids, hopefully your real power is the hordes of Griblies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd work. Mm. Yeah. Feeling yeah. that. Very thematic. Um, any other, any yeah. other ideas? Yes, I got a, I got a few here. Uh, nice. I would also love to see orcs versus Eldar mm. uh, for that sort of brutal cunning versus ancient grace thing, where updated <laughs> yeah. guardians and aspect warriors face off against a whole bunch of brand new top of the range sculpt boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, that'd be that'd be really cool. Again, all the sleek Eldar stuff versus the clunky, really brutally square uh, orc stuff. I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and pe- people. Would get a lot of value out of that um obviously the most obvious choice i think is space marines versus chaos space marines where we get (laughs) updated firstborn sculpts and new possessed sculpts yep play up the difference between them while saying you know i feel firstborn should still be a thing to be around but give them like even better sculpts make them death watch scale just Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger than they need to be um and this one's technically already happened, but I'm going to put it in anyway. Admech versus Necrons. Robots. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A robot box a la Forge Bane, but like yeah, fleshed Forge out. Forge Bane part be... two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah well, exactly. And they've also, they did a video game of it. That's what Mechanicus is. Mm. You know, it's Necrons oh, yeah, versus they, they could... Admech. Yeah. Yeah. They could just title it after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> I mean, it, it, it goes nicely. They, they're, like I said, they're too forces that naturally go together i think that's the thing with mm. with a lot of i mean obviously applies to other games but with 40k there's a lot of factions where they just naturally just look mm. right not just just yeah. the law obviously a lot of have background like i don't know like blood angels and tyranids or ultramarines and tyranids for example but you know you, you sort of think yeah there's a few that just naturally like i said admech and necrons they're just they just mm. yeah they just naturally seem to click against each other uh yeah. but no i like those ideas they're really cool um thank you i've got a few um right first one this is quite a, a funny one actually because i was thinking just to be well controversial why don't <laughs> they have a a box set rather than two factions have three have three Ooh. where you, basically you're taking one from each of the three you know uh, main sort of or you know a, you know uh hierarchies of it in the sense that why you know have someone from imperium someone from chaos and someone from Xenos, and so you could naturally again to epitomize those you can have space marines versus chaos space marines versus eldar that would be quite mm-hmm. you know a good showdown you know because obviously space marines and chaos space marines fight each other eldar have a habit of getting involved and also, I suppose as well, you've got the whole thing that happened with the Gathering Storm and obviously what came into 8th edition, you know, again, with the, the Eldar getting involved with that. Um, another idea I had, she talking of the Eldari, this one, I, this one I can't see existing, but I thought it'd be quite cool. Yunari versus Thousand Suns. So again, Ooh. you've got the whole um, background with Yvain and uh, Araman, you know, and the and the whole, mm. you know, trying to find the Black Library and things like that. So again, that would be quite cool because you could have a box set with both of them. You know, Yvain leading the Inari, uh, th- you know, and obviously Araman leading the uh, mm. Thousand Suns. You could have new Thousand Suns sculpts. I mean, their current stuff is really cool, but they could do with that a few more units. Uh, it would help s- sort of solidify the Inari because again, I feel like they've 
they they brought them in and they've sort of gone off a bit. You know, they've sort of just pushed them back aside. And, and obviously we don't have Unari box sets either. You know, obviously I know Unari is a combination of any of the Eldari uh, factions. But again, it'd be nice to yeah. sort of go, here you go, have them all together in one spot here. Have some Harlequins, have some Jakari, yeah. have some Craftworlds. So I think that would quite work. Um, another one would be Imperial Guard versus the Tau. Uh, again, mm-hmm. it's, I think, because obviously the, the way that, you know, we've had it before where guardsmen will uh, sometimes go over to the Tau and, you know, be part of the greater good. Again, you've got that situation, which I always find quite interesting. Uh, culturally, uh, uh, from a culture point of view, they're mm-hmm. sort of, very different as well. Um, mm. And again, it's sort of, again, a funny one because like, who's the bad guy in that really? Because obviously mm. as yeah. a person you'd think, Oh, Imperial guard humans, but then the Tau, you know, <laughs> are they evil? Are they not? Not, you know, it's a bit yeah. of a subjective question. So again, I think that'd be quite cool. Again, you could have some very much both, you know, both sides could have some updated units in there. You know, we could do with some new guardsmen, some new of the, uh, of the specialist attachments as well. So again, I think that could work. Um, and the last one I got is Sisters of Battle versus either Traitor Guard or the Gene Stealer Cults. Because again, I think Ooh. that, yeah. you know, this push of, of the Sisters of Battle is really cool. I like the fact that they've appeared in like, you know, the ninth edition, uh, you know, cinematic and things like that. And I think they naturally go against heretics. You know, I think that's just always a nice thing for them to go against because obviously of how obsessed they are with, you know, dealing with the heretic and the mutant and that's okay. Let's have heretics and mutants in that box set with them, you know, and again, you know, we don't, we haven't got proper traitor guard yet. I know obviously we've seen it a bit in Blackstone fortress, but you know, technically we don't really sort of exist as, as a, as a faction and box sets. Again, that'd be an opportunity uh, again, I know Gene Steeler Colts have been updated recently, but again, you know, it, again, it puts them to the forefront and it's, you know, it's a bit like with the Necrons in ninth edition where they're not the obvious choice, but that doesn't make it the bad choice, you know, as well. So yeah, I think that's uh, a few, you know, few ideas they could play around with. And, you know, if yeah. they want ideas for 10th edition already, there, there you are, yeah. Games Workshop, you know, yeah, you want to mix it up. Play test. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. So, uh, so yeah, I, I just think, and, and, and it, in, in all reality as well, it wouldn't, I know I'm not saying it would ever happen, but it would be nice to see a starter set that doesn't have space Marines in it as well. Yeah. I know that probably won't happen, but oh, I, God, you know, we wish. We yeah. Hope. Yeah. Just, just, just <laughs> to, you know, just to mix it up a bit. Never a bad thing. So. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Again, we know what's co- well. We'll say in that we don't know what's going to happen with the starter set in regards to ninth edition. We know about the launch set, but that mm-hmm. suggests that we may see a starter set. Uh, obviously, yeah, again, it probably you know it, we well, well you and I were talking the other day, weren't we, about um, mm. like no no fear and things like that. Again, that's maybe yeah. what will happen. As in, it will be still you know Primaris versus Necrons, but it will just be smaller sets or. They may catch us off guard, you know, with something, yeah. something else as well. well Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. It's gonna. So uh, yeah, so that's been our ideas for forty k starter sets and mm. the end of the episode. At last, they say. No, you don't. You want more. So <laughs> that's been episode fifty six. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and Cameron, where can people mm. find you on that internet? You can find me on the Twitter. At night underscore twitten, that's night without a K, uh, for 
various uh, world and Australian politics, animal posts, talking about the video game Days Gone, which is really good, and you should play <laughs> it if you have a PlayStation 4. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at realm underscore and underscore ruin, where I post hobby progress periodically. I haven't done mm. much for about a week, so it's uh, it hasn't had anything on for about a week, but when I do stuff, it'll be there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you can also find me on that twitter.com at ninjabadger7. Uh, I don't post very much. I should because I've been playing video games. I am having my ass handed to me in Hollow Knight at the moment. and um, But it's good fun. And uh, also you can find me on our podcast Twitter as well, at Realm and Ruin, uh, where, yeah, doing bits, doing my chaos stuff at the moment. It's good fun. Uh, so you can follow us on there. Um, so, yeah, that's been episode 56. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've got some more cool stuff to come. Uh, maybe a psychic awakening next show. Uh, <laughs> spoilers. Uh, and uh, as always, you know, keep safe, be good to each other, and we'll yeah. catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye.